Log Talk Radio. Welcome to the Tea Podcast. Bringing you the best in news, entertainment, celebrity gossip, social commentary, humor, and LGBTQ lifestyle. This podcast is part of the Urban Wire Media Network, where we shine the light on issues impacting the urban community. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. We are back with the new season of the Tea Podcast, where we bring you the best in LGBT culture and lifestyle, news, gossip, and all of the above. You know, now, you know we're here. It's been a while since we've done a live taping. Um, I just want to get some housekeeping things out of the way before we go to the lines really quick. Um, before we start, I just want to introduce Jonathan. He's here with me today. Hi. Are you ready for a good show today? I sure am. All right. Um, I don't even know where to start. I just want to get some housekeeping things done out of the way really quick. Um, if you're listening live, um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the StreamYard thing right now, but I'm not sure if it's really working, but we are on Facebook Live. If you want to um, call in, feel free to call us at 516-595-8150. Eight one five zero, and throughout the show, we're going to be um, answering uh, questions and reading the comments in Facebook Live as well. 
but I just want to let you guys know that we are available um, to be reached. If you want to call us, once again, that number is 516-595-8150. We got a lot to discuss today, and I want to jump on the line really quick because I think this might be Philip, but I just want to make sure. Um, caller ending in 4244, is this Philip? Yeah, that's me. All right, welcome, Philip. You know it's a it's a new season of the um it's a new season of the T podcast, and we we got a damn yeah, pack tonight. And I just want to first start off and um, tell everybody um happy Pride Month, as you know, guys know that this is the month that we celebrate who we are as people or members of the LGBT community, um, or I should say the LGBTQIA plus community if we want to be politically correct about it. But I just want to um, give you a rundown of what the show topics are going to be tonight. Um, we got a jam-packed show, so we're going to jump right into what we're going to be talking about. Um, we're going to talk about um, some very sad and tragic news. There were two trans women that were recently killed, so we're going to talk about um, trans women and uh, why is this happening, and what 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 needs to be done to make sure our trans brothers and sisters are are safe because they are being targeted right now. And with that being said, um, Trump also just passed some legislation um, where he's uh, well, I guess they're going to try to kind of end um, where they can to, you know, help out medically um, the transgender community and stuff like that. Um, they're trying to revoke health care protection for trans transgender individuals, so we're going to jump in that. Also, we're going to be discussing um, the fact that this is the 51st year of the Stonewall riots and how black trans women played a significant role in those riots. And also, with everything that's going on, um, Monique and Oprah are at it again. And as you guys know that she's been on their neck for like over 10 years. Like her, um, yeah, as far as Oprah, Lee Daniels, Tyler Perry, she, she, she has not let up off of them because Oprah's been that type of person where she's always tried to play like she's the advocate for the black community, but Monique is pretty much calling her out on her hypocrisy again. Um, and also some fun news in celebration of Pride Month, uh, SpongeBob has been quote unquote outed by Nickelodeon, so he is now officially known as a gay character on Nickelodeon. Yeah, so we got that, and we got so much to talk about today. Um, we're going to definitely delve into these topics. And I don't know if you guys had anything that you want to start off with, but yeah, I really want to jump into um, our our two trans sisters that have been um, really killed, and it's it's something that is very sad. Like um, I I just don't even know what to even I I just don't even know how to even yeah. But anyways, I'm going to. Um, jump off into our first clip and this first clip is demonstrating to us about um, the importance of 
um, trans women and trans men having uh, access to health care because we know that that you know the system in the past has kind of like neglected them and um, there's going to be some statistics in this clip that says like um, particularly trans women of color their, their life expectancy is 35 to 36 years old so we're going to um, go to this clip really quick um, brought to you by CBS News and when we come back, we're going to have our discussion discussion around this, and we'll, hopefully, we'll have some more people call in and, and we'll you know, get your input. Late yesterday, the Trump administration completed a change to the Affordable Care Act, rolling back a policy that protected transgender patients from discrimination. This new policy, enacted during Pride Month, was announced on the anniversary of one of the bloodiest days in the LGBTQ community, the Pulse nightclub shooting. At the time, the shooting was the deadliest the country had ever seen. Forty-nine innocent lives were lost. We're also learning more about the deaths of two trans women who were killed this week. Dominique Remy Fells and Rihanna Milton were killed on Tuesday. Each of their cases are considered open homicides, according to police departments in both Philadelphia and Liberty Township, Ohio. The Human Rights Campaign says that at least 14 transgender people have been killed so far this year. The majority of those are trans women of color. GLAAD, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, says the trans women of color have a life expectancy in the United States of 35 years. Joining me now, Kimberly Crenshaw, professor at both UCLA and Columbia Law School, and Imara Jones, founder and creator of Translash Media. Welcome to both of you. Uh, thank you for being with us. Um, Imara, I, I, it's kind of unbelievable. I, I've read that statistic. I've read it on TV. I've seen it. 35 years. Uh, I, I think there's nothing more dangerous in America than being a trans woman of color. Well, it's certainly one of the most dangerous things. Um, I think that um, there's so many factors that contribute to the statistic that you gave, um, one of them being um, lack of access to health care, of course, lack of access to jobs. And when you have an, um, a life expectancy of 35 or the fact that most trans women who die before 35 um, are due to homicide or some other factor, um, it's because everything is failing. And so we need to look at the entire system of support and rights and equal access that we have for trans people. And of course, the new rule from the Trump administration sets us back in that. So this is interesting, uh, Kimberly. When, when Imara says everything is failing them, that sort of fits in with a philosophy that you have uh, articulated and a term that you've given life to, intersectionality. And uh, one definition of it, and I'm sure you have better ones, is intersectionality is the complex cumulative way in which the effects of multiple forms of discrimination, such as racism, sexism, and classism, combine, overlap, or intersect, especially in the experiences of marginalized individuals or groups. So it would stand to reason with this theory, and I got that description from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, under this theory, a trans woman of color faces multiple forms of discrimination because they are uh, transgender, because they are a woman, because they are a person of color, and all sorts of systems fail them. 
Yes, and it's important to focus on the systemic dimension of it. I think one of the things that sometimes people misunderstand about intersectionality is they think it's just about identity. It's just an identity politics claim. It's just a demand for recognition. Rather than it calls attention to the ways that transphobia, uh, patriarchy, and misogyny, and racism all come together. There, it's the confluence of these dynamics that cause uh, the disproportionate uh, vulnerability of trans women of color. It's not just one thing, and it's not just an identitarian thing. So I think, as Amara said, it's the failure of all of these things that contribute to the vulnerability, and therefore our politics have to address those confluences that create um, the harms that now we are seeing happening across the country. To many people, Amara, we, we've sort of been able to normalize the idea that we live in this free, open society and uh, everybody uh, faces the same experience in life. In this moment where we are realizing that that's just not true, particularly as it relates to people of color and the police, what is the thing about the, the experience of being a trans woman uh, that you can tell our audience, that, the things that, that they may not think about on a daily basis, that trans women think about on a daily basis, the fears that they have? Well, I, I want to be clear to speak to my experience. I can't speak for all trans women, but I think that one of the things that's really important to understand is that we face um, the the backlash um, and the front lash caused by living in a patriarchal society. So for some people, trans women um, are murdered and killed um, and are targeted because we are too much, um, too much woman, and then and with respect to trans women. And then um, on the other hand, are also ridiculed in public culture and dehumanized for not being woman enough. And so that bind is a unique one that um, is face in our society. And I think that we have to um, not, in our conversation about race, understand the way in which race works together, um, as Dr. Crenshaw has so incredibly and groundbreakingly shown us all, the way in which it is relied upon and works with, um, patriarchy works with race and works with um, our capital and economic structures and works with our legal structures and rights. Um, and one of the most important things to understand about trans people is that whether or not we have basic rights in this country is actually a question. Um, it's a question right now before yeah. the Supreme Court. Um, the Trump administration, through this rule, has deemed that our humanity is not equal and therefore we do not deserve equal access to health care. And so that is a basic tenet of American life that is not faced by the overwhelming majority of Americans. Kimberly, three months ago today, something happened that I think if you asked uh, 10 Americans about, uh, not most of them would know what the significance is of today, three months ago. Yes, yeah, so it was, uh, it was the moment when uh, Breonna uh, Taylor, who should have uh, been a, a hero, I mean, she risked her life uh, trying to uh, give service to uh, her, her, her fellow uh, Americans to uh, fight the coronavirus. She was an EMT. Um, she lost her life when a raid uh, of her apartment, based on a mistaken warrant, uh, a no-knock warrant, uh, allowed police officers to come in and uh, basically shoot her eight times and took her life. Uh, very few people uh, knew about that at the time. And, you know, basically three months passed before there was any attention to it. 
So um, Rihanna Taylor is, is the latest uh, black woman to lose her life to police, the latest one uh, who's a mother had to find out that the persons who were responsible for killing her uh, were the police, but there, there are many others. There's the, the family of uh, a Kayla Moore, a transgender woman who was killed in Berkeley. There's uh, Michelle uh, Cassot, a woman who was having mental health uh, uh, crises at the time, and the police killed her. We don't know their stories, and because we don't know their stories, we don't really have a full agenda of what anti-black police violence looks like. And until we include their stories and until we include their frames, we won't have a full template from which to build reforms off of. So that's why Say Her Name is so important, to lift those stories, say their names to tell their stories. All right, guys, I just wanted to play that interview because that was a very powerful interview. And... um, I feel that with this being not only Pride Month, but I feel that this is also ties into what we're all trying to fight for, especially in the black community, um, you know, with such groups as Black Lives Matter. You know, um, even within the black LGBT community, um, we face discrimination. We face, you know, marginalization. And I feel that um, this is something that needs to be discussed, um, particularly within um, the transgender community. Not only do they, like, do we as the gay community face certain difficulties and certain trials and, and tribulations with, within our community, but the transgender women, they face a whole nother set of issues and hurdles as well, you know? And I just feel that it's it's about time for us to, uh, as a community, to, to address those issues. You know, stop putting these women, um, trans women of color and men of color, pushing them off to the side and neglecting their needs. Because I feel like, especially in the LGBT community, we, in general, just people of color, particularly black people, we're we're always shoved off to the side. We're always seen as the less desirables, you know what I'm saying? And I feel that it's time to change that, you know, I, and I, I just feel that, you know, with all this that's going on, you know, this is the exact reason why we need to get out here and vote. Trump is reversing everything that Obama's um, administration has tried to put forth as far as transgender and, and gay rights is concerned. And it's just a slap in the face that we see that he's trying to reverse all this stuff and he's trying to put an end to health care for transgender people on the anniversary of the Pulse nightclub massacre. You know, that's that's just that's just outright just a slap in the face. And I just want to know what do you guys think about this entire situation? Um Johnson, I'm gonna start with you and Philip. I'm gonna um jump to you and see what you what you have to say about the situation. He wants to play this base, and he thinks that by doing this, he's going to get himself reelected. But this is just this just further shows the contempt that he has, not just for the just for the LGB, but for the T as well. Right, right. 
Yep. And so, Philip, what do you feel about this entire situation as it relates to um, black trans women and men of color and how um, the Trump administration is now starting to attack them? I think we, I think we all knew that this was going to come late, sooner or later. I mean, let, let's not pretend. I mean, even though this is 2020, I don't think we have made any progress since the Reagan administration had uh, wanted to cut funding for AIDS research. What they did to the gay community then, including people of color, they're doing it again now. So I. I feel like history is repeating itself. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't. Yes, I mean, I should. I should feel angry. I should be pissed, but I don't because I. I feel like I knew that this was going to happen, and I've accepted it, and therefore, this is why I tell people to go vote. You have a president who just doesn't give a damn. And I don't know how long it's going to take for people to realize that, including his own fan base. But this is why it's so important to vote. And people don't take this seriously. This is what happens when you don't vote. You allow people like this to cut legislation that affects the transgender community. So I really hope that this is a wake-up call for many people who are apathetic about the election process. So yeah, I agree with Jonathan. He's doing this, you know, to, you know, to flex his arm so that he can get a second term. And I'm here to tell you that we cannot let that happen. Yeah. And I just don't understand how you have so many passive. I mean, there are. A, I'm gonna tell you, we we have some very. I, I just think they're lost. There's some people that are in the gay community. They just carry on like nothing's happening. You know, if it doesn't have anything to do with and drinking and going to the bars and clubs with their friends, they're totally oblivious to what's going on. You know, and these are the certain things, these are the typical things that happen when we take the position of being nonchalant about things and not being serious about things. And I think it's about time for us to wake up as a community. And I think that particularly, I can speak for this community here in Indianapolis, you know, I'm kind of glad, I'm definitely glad to see them now starting to look at these issues a little bit more. Um, I've seen several people um, who are kind of out there in the community and stuff like that. I, I was really happy to see them take part of the protest and um, their actually being vocal on their platforms about these issues. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Whether it deals with trans women or Black Lives Matter, it's good to see for once that the gay community in general, but here in Indianapolis in particular, seeing that they are actually taking a stance because there was a couple weeks ago when the whole, well, about a month, well, it's been about a month ago when Sean Reed was killed. There was some backlash that came because I'm just going to put it out here because mm-hmm. Indy, Indy pride did not want to say um, the discrimination. They didn't want to say police brutality. They didn't want to say um, 
They didn't want to speak out against the issues that are plaguing the black community. And I just think that that's very hypocritical. For one, you know, a lot of the mainstream white guys, they like to latch on to the entire um, black civil rights movement. You know what I'm saying? So wait, do we have the receipts on that? Like, did they they blatantly just disregard the whole Black Lives Matter movement that's been going on? Yes, the statement that they put out when Sean Reed got killed, it was very milk toast. It was very uh, watered down. Oh, okay. And they did not want that. to yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, I just feel now with everything that transpired since then, I think, you know, I got to give them props. I'm starting to see more people actually speak out on issues of injustice as it relates to the black community. But I'm going to say this too. I'm kind of wondering, is there a motive behind this? Because I feel now everybody yeah. has to play these politics because, oh, if I don't say this now, you know, I'm going to look bad. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, is it really genuine? Some of these people that are supposedly putting like these messages on their page is like, oh, Black Lives Matters and stuff like that. Because you guys have never been vocal about this stuff before. So why now? Like is it because it's the end thing to do or what? Like I I just I just wonder like why why now? Like you know what I'm saying? You guys should have been discussing these, these issues. I was really hoping it I think I can answer that because I've been Go wondering ahead. about that too. Especially with Starbucks. I mean all of a sudden, Starbucks and Black Lives Matter. And then... Ooh, yeah, we're going to get um, into that. It took, it, yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll keep that part short. So the thing about it is, I feel like... <clears throat> maybe it took them a long time to realize that Black Lives Matter was going to gain traction. They probably didn't... A lot of these companies that say that they're inclusive, equal opportunity, they probably didn't, they probably didn't take it seriously, especially when Colin Kaepernick... Uh, did the, the take a knee challenge. And I think that that's, might be the reason why all of a sudden everyone is now Black Lives Matter. But at the same time, it has a lot to do with, you know, running a business. I mean, we're a capitalist nation. Everything that we do relies on how many people support the business by actually buying products. And especially if it's a white-owned business. I feel like when we, when we point out, we as black people, when we point out injustice or discrimination in a business. I mean, it doesn't gain a lot of traction unless some white yuppie liberal in a gentrified neighborhood says something like, I'm not going to buy a product here if you're going to treat my black friend like this. So it's like, once again, we do rely on white privilege to, to get Black Lives Matter on the topic, to, to gain traction. I mean, I'm not saying as if we're not capable of doing that ourselves, but I'm looking at it like this. This explains in a nutshell why all of a sudden is everyone's jumping on the bandwagon. Because when this movement started, you know, a couple years back, no one really took it seriously. And they thought it was just something uh, all the cool kids are doing. And now all of a sudden they're like, oh, my God, this is really impacting our business. And if we don't, if we don't show people that we're sensitive to these topics, no one's going to want to buy our product. So I don't think and it's I, genuine. And I'll say this too, Philip. Like, you know, I think another reason why 
we have to look at the system of capitalism too. And a lot of times people don't want to hear or nor will they pay attention to something until it starts impacting them financially and hitting them in the pockets. Now, when mm-hmm. black people, now, now people want to talk about the, the looting and the riot, rioting and this, that, and the other, where whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, you have to admit when people's businesses started getting attacked and it start and, and, and cities were getting destroyed, you know, it woke the people up. And now people are now trying to take a stand. I've been saying this for, for the longest. As long as we mm-hmm. as a particularly black people, um, as long as we are passive and forgiving, they are never going to forgive us. You know, and I feel that sometimes you have to do extreme things to get extreme results, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And I think exactly. when and when you start hitting people in their pockets, that's when they want to listen. And this is no different than this. Hell, we can even look back at the Stonewall riot. When they started going in and when they really started letting them people have it back then, that's when voices in these issues have been started to be, you know what I'm saying? They started taking this stuff seriously. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it, getting back to the whole thing we were talking about, the importance of black trans women in the LGBT community, you better thank God that there were some some black trans women that were about that life that were some true writers because if not, we would not be where we are today. They were the ones that kicked off a lot of that stuff. And I just get so sick and tired of just the black experience in general in the LGBT community being ignored. You know, I just feel that uh, mm. without us, you know, we would not be able to have some of the liberties that we have today. Even when we look at the first black president, you know, of the United States, Barack Obama, he was the one that pushed gay rights and gay legislation ahead. No other president was thinking about doing that. You know what I'm saying? So I feel that in the, yep. in the uh, black gay community, we need to start being more vocal and, and letting these people know and taking these people tasks. Hey, hey, we are a pivotal part of the community as well. Without us, you wouldn't have these liberties that you are that you have today. And that's just how I feel about it. I mean, you're right. That that's that's exactly the thing. Is money talks, and we pride ourselves in this nation because of it. And, I mean, it, it aggravates me, too, when people focus on the writing, like, oh, my God, the businesses. What, what about the businesses? Y'all breaking the windows and destroying shit, blah, 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 blah. Uh, well, guess what? Those can be replaced. And for the people to say, well, they don't have enough money for business, fine. But if you're going to open a business in a marginalized community, you should expect this shit to happen. Now, I'm, I'm not advocating for businesses to be destroyed for the hell of it. No. But in every riot in this nation, there is always going to be collateral damage, no matter what. There's always going to be someone instigating violence, someone instigating destruction. But that does not reflect on what this protest is about. But if those things happen, mm-hmm. those things happen. But it just shows that people in the suburbs, like I, 
had expressed in the video that I posted on Facebook, people in the suburbs, all they care about is business, business, businesses. That's all you care about. So yep. all the protesting was just, it fell on deaf ears. And that's the difference between the people that live in the nice neighborhoods from the people who don't live there. And, and because of that, we're going to have this divide. Money does talk. People with the most money aren't concerned about what's going on with people of color. Why should they be? They're comfortable. They have their way of life. They got what they want. The only thing that inconveniences them is to see people like us upset because they, we, they feel that we're going to threaten their way of life by demanding social programs that we desperately need to survive, and maybe that's why the transgender community is upset because it, it took this long to get what they need in health care into legislation. I would be mad, too, if I saw everything that I, that I needed be taken away because it inconvenienced somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Three things. Okay. One, we all owe a debt of gratitude to Marsha P. Johnson. Yes. Yes, say her name. She is the one that threw the first brick that would turn around the world. Without her, all three of us and the rest of our brethren and and sisters would not be where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, Philip, I want to add to your point about capitalism and the suburbs and, and all that. Um, it's, it's really high time for these protests to really make their way to the suburbs now because they all felt isolated. They wanted to be... Ah, but they, they have. All that white flight that went on, they think they're fine in their own little world from everything else that's going on in the the urban areas and the inner cities, and it's time for this to go over there to places like Carmel. You calling them, oh, you going to call them out? You don't really do that? Oh, yeah, I am. I did. I called them out on my video, too. Hmm. Because in I order a lot of these people in the protesters were from there. Yeah, and, and, and here's the thing, y'all. A lot of people are saying that that a lot of these people that are coming into the cities causing havoc. Because this this is just gonna go into a whole other direction. That's why we gotta do another part to this. There's just the whole protest part of it in general. The people that are coming into the city causing um civil unrest are the people from the Suburbs. They don't live in these communities. They come in here, stir up all this shit. They stir up all this, you know, where, where the where the protests are peaceful and organized. They come into these cities and they start all this shit, stir it up, and then when you see the aftermath, then you, you don't see what happened before. You know, it's just bullcrap. Like you know, I just feel that it's only the negative that's being shown in the news media. You know, I'm going to That's give you a perfect example. Like my mm-hmm. cousin, the video that went viral, I know you guys seen it because the Indianapolis Star yep. covered it, about the entire woman, about the situation where the woman came through the circle and ran over peaceful protesters. Yep. The woman ran over peaceful protesters, and then it was on video. 
And the only reason why that story gained traction is because, for one, my cousin, she videotaped the situation. The woman was going to get off. But the only reason why I believe mm-hmm. that she's not going to be facing charges is because, you know, social media got on top of their game. They shared the video, and people kept putting their pressure on the police. They, we, hey, this ain't right. This woman did something wrong. She what? She had no business being in that. That it was blocked off. She ran over these protesters. And she fled the scene. Now, my cousin said when she was down there, the police were asking her all these questions. Well, um, what happened before? What did you guys do to her? What difference does it make? This woman just committed a crime and ran over people in the top on tape. <clears throat> and it's just mm-hmm. bullcrap that. I already knew what was going to happen, but I'm so glad that social media and people stood up and said, hey, this isn't right. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what... For her doing that. Yes. So, I I just, I don't know. I just, it's it's just the the whole thing about the entire situation dealing with the, the protests and stuff, that's just a whole, that's a show within itself because it I just see how mainstream media portrays things. Like, especially when it comes to the Black Lives Matter movement, they want to make it seem like it's a bunch of um, militant people that's out here trying to rob and and, and scheme and and destroy businesses and stuff like that. And then what kills me is, and I'm not trying to be funny, like, how is it? There's a few gay people, and I'm not going to say it's a few people that I know how can you be on the polar opposite side of this issue? You as a gay person, how could you stand for any group of people being discriminated against and you supposedly have this infatuation with black people and you this, that, and the other, and you're, you're supposed to be open, but we look at your social media and you go against everything that is Again, I just don't understand some of these people. I don't understand how you can be LGBT or you can be in the gay community and you know the struggles of being gay and you can support the the discrimination of another group of people. I just don't understand it. It's not right. You know, because again, it's in, it's inconvenient for a lot of people. They don't want to experience the inconveniency that comes with being a person of color who happens to be gay. And when they're with a person like that, yeah, they like the idea of this ebony and ivory bullshit. But when something like Black Lives Matter personally affects their dark-skinned companion, no, they they don't want anything to do with it because maybe maybe it's not because they don't care. It's because maybe it's because they don't know what to say. And that could be another reason right there. That doesn't excuse the complacency, but it could be another reason. Maybe, maybe your white boyfriend just doesn't know how to respond to that because, again, he's never been in that situation. All he knows is that he was discriminated for being gay, but he doesn't know what it's like to be discriminated for being not only gay but being black or being Hispanic or being Asian. 
So I think a lot of it has to do with not just complacency, but a lot of it has just to do with uh, ignorance. They just don't know. But when we talk about race in the gay community, it's inconvenient, it's unattractive, and mm-hmm. they'll portray you as, oh, you're just being too dramatic. Oh, oh, it's not all about race. I don't see color. I, I don't have a problem with that. Oh, I don't know everybody. Now, that's a lie. Oh. <laughs> I don't see color. Like, are you serious? I don't understand that. How can you? If you saw people, color, we wouldn't be dating. <laughs> exactly. But I just don't, to me, that is like a slap in the face. Now, I understand some people mean good by that, but when you say that you don't see color, you, to me, you min- minimalize who I am as a person yeah. and my, my differences and what makes me unique as a person. I don't think that exactly. there's anything wrong with being different. I just think that we live in a, a society that has made that made those differences abnormal or they tried to how should I say it? It's been stigmatized by society. Like like differences, you know, mm-hmm. if you're not if you don't fit the mainstream image, then you I don't know. It's just it just feels that when people say that I just I just it just makes me cringe when I hear that. Like I, I think we do need to celebrate the differences in one another because that's what makes us unique. And I, I feel that, uh, you know, when people say that, we need to call them to task and say, hey, I'm there with them, but, you know, you need to correct them, you know, and you don't have to be rude and disrespectful. You know, sometimes people just need to be educated. You know when people's minds and their hearts are in the right place. You, you know, but some people are going to be willfully ignorant and some people you can't, you can't say. And I just wish that we as people would just not even waste our time with certain people because some people are just beyond they're they're they're, they're beyond reproach and, and they and they 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 don't want to hear anything you have to say they're set in their ways and we don't need to be wasting our time with that we need to we need to focus on the people that want to be educated and we want to focus on the people that are willing to be our allies you know sometimes they need to be corrected on some of their, you know, ways of thinking, but we know when people want to be our allies and we, we know when people just don't. And there's no reason for us to waste time going back and forth with people that don't see it for us, period. Well, at the same time, we, we have to understand, you know, especially with white people who are now seeing the atrocities committed by law enforcement. I mean, we, we have to count our blessings. We we have a lot more people supporting our cause than we ever have um, yeah. in decades. There are yeah. there are white people who do understand that what's happening to the black community, what's happening to trans people, is wrong, and they really yeah. do want to make that effort to understand. We we as as a black community, we can't we can't expect so much and so high from white people. We have to we have to give them a chance. To mm-hmm. you know, to learn and to understand, but we can't ask them to walk in our shoes because they're never going to be able to. Right. And right. That's fine. I can accept that. But when you willfully want to try to sweep it under the rug or tell me that I should just be quiet about it, oh, I I, I don't get into politics. I, I don't like politics. I don't want to talk about it. 
then that's when I have a problem, and that's what I would do what you just said. Just leave them be. Just If you're going to be set in your ways, fine. But you can't act like this doesn't affect you. Everything that you do in this country is political, and you can't escape the subject about politics. Because till it happens to you is when it'll be too late. So that's why we're going to be like a mosquito on people's ears about Black Lives Matter, about Black Trans Matter, even further after, even after November, because this is important. People need to realize that this is a matter of life and death. You've got people in Congress who don't give a damn. How many no. decades will it be? So it's now or never. Um, going back to when people say that they don't see color, I've seen a political cartoon from about the time of the Flint water crisis, and there's two there's two different slides. One is an adult giving a little girl some water, and it just showed an outline. Mm-hmm. So you really didn't know exactly what was happening. But then on the other side, then you see this older white man giving this little black girl water from the water that they get in Flint. Yeah. So it just really resonated with me that, yeah, you're going to have to see color in order to understand what people actually go through. That's almost like, Jonathan, I'm going to ask you this. Do you think that kind of relates to the whole all all lives matter thing? You know, because I'm going to tell you, like, yes, because I'm going to tell you this. With all the op-ed pieces that are out here and all the discussions that's been had around All Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter, I'm not giving anybody any passes, people that want to refute Black Lives Matter with this All Lives Matter um, rhetoric. Because at this point, I think that it is cold. It, it is, it's a cold. All Lives Matter is cold now. And I feel that it's, all, it's, it's something that is used to minimalize the plight of um, heterosexual and homosexual and lesbian and transgender um, black struggles in this country. And I feel that exactly. people that are saying that now at this point, they need to be called to task. Because when you say all lives matter, that means when you're saying that, you, you're, you're pretty much dismissing what that is because we know looking at the history of this country that white people have always been the ruling class in this country. And so we know that their lives have always mattered. You know, but we're just saying with this with this particular movement, hey, we need to address the systematic and the unfair and just unjust treatment of black bodies here in the United States. So I feel that when you hear all lives matter, because now you, you know, it's white people that are now starting to call people out. And that's what I'm going to say. Not all white people are the enemy, just like all black people aren't Sam or they're not like they say, skin folks ain't kin folks. That's the same thing that goes along with that because you have a lot of black people within black society that have contempt for black society and they will do anything to destroy black society. They have that much hatred towards their own people. And it's very sad. 
yeah, Jigaboo, like your girl Candace Owens. And, and I just feel that with her, there's, there's a piece out by uh, our News One website, and I just did a video about this, and I, I'm only be releasing that probably later tonight. But they were just saying how Candace Owens, and, and I, I know I'm getting away from the topic, but I just wanted to say that while, while, while I'm on my train of thought is going there. Um, they were talking about how Candace Owens is nothing but a con artist, and, and all she is, she's out here trying to secure the bag. She's tap dancing. She's cooning out because she's trying to get the bag. They called out a lot of her inconsistencies in this 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 um, particular piece that I, that I uh, will be talking about in this video that's coming up about how she's a hypocrite. Like, for example, she, she talks about how the NAACP has done nothing for the black community and the NAACP is, is, is doing more harm to the, to the black community than good. But they pulled records back from 2007 when she filed a civil, uh, well, she filed a civil rights lawsuit against the school that she was going to because they were discriminating against her. I guess it was two um, um, white males that were discriminating against her, and her fam, her and her family mm-hmm. sued that that school corporation and got over thirty-seven thousand dollars. So. It's funny that you want to dismiss the plight of black people, but when it comes to you in your bag, then, you know, it's woe is me. So that's why I said, you know, you have to watch these black people out there that are very vocal about uh, putting their own community down, but you're dismissive of everything else that's in front of us. You don't want to address that. This is the same woman that that glorified Adolf Hitler. So we're we're dealing exactly. with someone that has a very trash like mentality. She has a reprobate mind and that I, she needs to be yeah. thrown to the wolves. I think ahead, you, should, you should address that in in the next video, you know, Jigaboos in general, you know, you know, yeah. in the future. Because the thing about it is, yeah, look, Candace Owens, she's entitled to her opinion. And yeah. I don't have no issue with that. But what I have an issue is, okay, you sitting here complaining about what all these organizations have ever done for black people. Well, Candace, what have you done for black people? Yeah. I, that's the thing about, about black conservatives and Republicans. Okay, I get it. You are sick and tired of all, this, all the ratchetness that, that comes with our community. We get that. But do you think the grass is in, is any greener as as a Republican conservative? I mean, who are you trying to impress? So that's that's really the thing. She's not. It's not just her. You got uh, you got Sheriff Clark. You've got yeah. the Hodge twins on YouTube. You've got Terrence Williams on Twitter, who's some kind of comedian who loves Trump. You got Diamond and Silk. So yes, Elder. That's. Yeah, that's the big question that we all have to ask. What are you getting out of this by by playing for the other team? Because in reality, we, we really shouldn't just put our community inside the box of one political party. Because yeah. no matter what political party that you belong to, yeah, they're going to leave you out of it every single time. But mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna make you're gonna make videos and you're gonna make money and notoriety by 
by by talking about how much you hate the black community, blah, 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 blah. That's fine. I don't care what you do. But at the same time, what are you doing for the black community? It's not for yourself. I mean, it's just like that biblical scripture. What, uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Um, profit the man. What's the profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What's going to profit Miss Candace Owen? That's the question hmm. she needs to ask herself. Well, I will say I this, Philip. Yeah. I will say this, Philip. Cooning and selling out never pays off in the end. And we've seen this happen countless times um, through the likes of people like Stacey Dash and mm-hmm. Jason Whitlock. Now, did you hear about Jason Whitlock recently being let go from, well, they didn't, I'm not going to say let go, but they refused to renew his contract with Fox uh, Sports. Did you hear about that? I'm, I'm not, I've, I've never met this person or know who he is. Well, he's a, he's, he's, he's another one of these tap dancing jigaboos that's on Fox News Network, but he's for, but he's on the sports side of it, but he's always putting down mm-hmm. black athletes. He's always saying anti, he has a lot of anti-black rhetoric. And I want to say, I want to say, if I'm not mistaken, if somebody can correct me, I think he's from Indianapolis, if I'm not mistaken. So a lot of people say he's definitely an embarrassment, but just like what they can get out of you, they kick you to the curb because they have no more use for you. Because at the end of the day, whether they agree with the black community or if they respect the black community or not, they will not respect you in the long run when they see that you have no loyalty towards your own community. These people don't respect you. If they see that you're out here um, chucking and jiving and, and you coming up against your, your own people, they're not going to respect you in the long run because they're going to see like, hell, if they'll do that to their own kind, what will they do to – they'll eventually turn on us. And I, I mean, that's hell, why I, it happened to Omarosa. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, the list the list is just extensive of – as it relates to the the number of people that this has happened to. And that's why I say, man, you you think that you get these little, I hate to use the word, you get nigger trinkets. They give them these little nigger trinkets and butter biscuits, and they get, they they sit around and and they think they got it made. But once they use you up for what they want, they're going to throw you out, going to spit you out like they done took a whole damn catfish and they done Suck the meat off the bone and spit the bones out. Because that's all they look at you it's, as. It's a mental you know, show. It, you you exactly. perform it for scrap. That's it. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan, you had anything to say? You just been up here kind of quiet. Well, I was wanting to get back to my other point about the, about Trump and, and the trans community and what he's done. Yeah. Um, and I pulled up this article from The Guardian from September of last year. Um, it's, I'm going to quote it. Since taking office, the Trump administration has sought to reverse health care protections for trans people, which has now already happened. Uh, he has moved to ban trans people from serving in the military. He has eliminated rules protecting trans students and has pushed to allow businesses to turn away gay and trans customers 
if they seek religious exemption. Also, I want to point out... How can out, you get away with that? Apparently, there's certain rules that he can do within the Civil Rights Act, like the Title Title IX, Title mm. VII, you know, whatever, that administrations are allowed to do that doesn't need congressional approval. So this is um, a loophole. It's not exactly a loophole, but I think that that the law gives the administration um, some leeway. So, in other words, all Trump is doing is reversing what Obama has put into place. Yeah. Because probably in the right wing's mind, this is government overreach. So, again, this plays directly to the debate. You know, it's so funny. All the white people in the Michigan State Capitol. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish. I I apologize. um, Is that the Supreme Court, either at the end of this month or at the end of next month, is going to make a ruling whether businesses can discriminate their own LGBT employees. Oh, wow. I believe that's under Title Seven or Title Nine, whether um, sex would be a determining factor. Sexual orientation. Sexual orientation, yes. Wow. So that's something that we need to be on the lookout for in the coming weeks. And, and, and wanted, you know what? Yeah, yeah go ahead, Philip. Yeah, you're good. Oh, I'm sorry. It's funny that you mentioned government overreach because that's what we kept hearing during all these protests about the stay-at-home order, especially at the Michigan State Capitol. I want everyone to pay attention to this. So it's okay for a bunch of good old boys to go to the state capitol and complain about government overreach when it comes to a, a motion to keep people from getting coronavirus. But no one's complaining about this. This is government overreach. Where are those protesters now? Mm. But see, that's why I'm saying these people, they're they're a bunch of hypocrites. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Until it impacts them, that's when they have, that's, that's only when they have interest in that or the Constitution and this, that, and the other. If it impedes, or if it not impedes, if it restricts someone else's rights or infringes on somebody else's rights, that's when they don't they don't care about that. But when it infringes upon their rights, that's when they're vocal about it. So to me, it's it's, it's a lot of hypocrisy all around. You know what I'm saying? Because to me, if you were really about that about that life and you were really about um upholding the constitution and what's morally right you would be out there protesting and you'll at least at the very least be very vocal about any you know form of or any act of you know people's rights being infringed upon you know i just i just i just see the the hypocrisy in it Mm -hmm. i mean it's funny you're going to sit there and complain about oh they're taking away my rights they can't do that we need to limit government, and yet here we are. We are protesting Black Lives Matter for that exact reason, because mm-hmm. we believe 
that there is government overreach in the judicial system, down to the police unions themselves. And now that you have a president that's depriving LGBTQ members, especially transgender people, of resources through their health care, and now seeing we'll all be discriminated at our workplace, yes, where are those people now? Where are they? So it's Hmm. very hilarious to me, the hypocrisy of it all. Honey, honey, all I hear is crickets, honey. I don't, I don't hear any, I don't hear any outrage whatsoever. None. This is why you gotta move. I have this. It's it's, it's disturbing. It's very, you know. Yeah. This is why you gotta vote. This is why you gotta register. Yeah. Yeah. And we got to and we got to keep. We have to. We have each one reach one. I believe that. You know, make sure you if you have younger nieces, nephews, cousins, make sure they are getting um, involved in the political process. Make sure that they're registered to vote, and not only make sure they're registered. Make sure that they get to those polls. Make sure you stay on top of them, and make sure that they are researching these people. You know, start educating them at, at a young age, like. What impacts you? What 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 do you where do you see yourself in five or ten years? And what what do you what obstacles do you see might get in your way to get into your goals or, or what do you want to do in life? And you have to have to, to teach them to start researching these candidates, start instead of just listening to all this love and hip hop and all this reality TV. Start teaching them to listen to some of these political debates. Um, teach them to um, just, I don't know, just educate them. You know, I just think that these kids are feeling, and these young people and young adults today, they're filling their, their minds up with all this bull crap that they see, and they're, they're engaging, and, and I don't know, it's like, it's, I don't even know. It's I, I, I think that they're not indulging in what they need to indulge in. They need to indulge in them books. They need to indulge in the political process. They need to, because love and hip hop's not going to ensure that you have job re, and resources and, and, and health and this, that, and the other. And it, it's all that, all that foolishness and all that ratchet culture is not going to ensure that you are going to have a secure future. So that's why I feel like we need to kind of reach these younger people we need to make sure they get to the polls. We need to make sure that they educate themselves and get familiar with the political process because they are the ones that are going to take the mantle and they're going to be they're going they're going to pretty much be running this country. So we have to make sure that they get politically involved. You know, that's because uh, what Jonathan said about Brandon Circus. That's what this is. Yeah. So, do you have anything else to say on this subject? No. All right. Um, okay, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, I'm just jumping around because we got something that I wanted to I wanted to dis- discuss. Now we brought up earlier about the entire Starbucks fiasco. Um, BuzzFeed released an article um, earlier this, well, 
last week, I would say, not today, Sunday, they released an article, I believe, on Wednesday um, exposing Starbucks for sending out a memo to its employees saying that they are not to be wearing any um, hats, shirts, or any other um, forms of expression as far as Black Lives Matter is concerned. Now, after that, after this hit the media and a lot of people were outraged and threatened to boycott Starbucks, I guess they revoked that decision and told the their employees that they are permitted to wear Black Lives Matter um, memorabilia, and they were in support of the movement. Now, my thing oh, is, really? they, yeah, they were they were under fire because, like. People are upset. Like you didn't learn anything uh, from a couple years ago when you guys went through what you went through. Yeah, with that situation, and a lot of people are mad because they're they're being hypocritical. They they claim that uh, that they have a policy in general that prohibits employees from wearing like political like clothing with political statements and jargon and stuff like that. But they say you don't have a problem with supporting the LGBT community. And a lot of people were like saying that there's some hypocrisy there. Like, you know, they said that's all well and good that you support the LGBT community, but why aren't you supporting this Black Lives Matter movement that everybody is in, in favor of, pretty much? Like, everybody sees the importance of this. You have uh, multi billionaires and, and Fortune 5 companies, Fortune 500 companies such as Amazon, like Jeff Bezos, he's in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. And all these other companies like um, the CEO of Apple and all that stuff, they are coming out in support of Black Lives Matter. So why isn't Starbucks in support of it? And a lot of people were very upset about that. You know what I'm saying? But you know what? The reason why Starbucks feels like they can get away with this stuff is because they feel that there's no repercussions from the black community. We can do whatever we want to do to you can disrespect you and just give it a couple weeks to a month, then you then you got to be back in our business, businesses spending your hard earned money again. So I blame mm-hmm. us as a community for allowing this. Because that's why they feel they can do keep disrespecting our community. They can they feel like they don't have to support us and and whatever because they know that there's no consequences behind it. And that gets back to what I was saying earlier about the whole system of capitalism. When there is no consequences monetarily, um, then these people don't care about your plight. But when you start applying that pressure politically and monetarily, that's when things change. You know what I'm saying? So I just feel that the whole Starbucks situation, I, okay, it's, it's not a unique situation. We, we see it all the time. Especially in the black community, I'm gonna get. I'm bringing it back to the black community. That's why you see all of these situations with Asian, um, these people going to these Asian nail salons or in nail shops and going into these Asian-owned businesses, and they're straight up disrespecting black people because they know that there is no consequences behind them disrespecting us because we're gonna keep coming back. We're going to keep supporting them and patronizing their businesses, and there's no consequences. That's the thing. When people don't have any consequences and you allow them to keep doing stuff to you, you don't set any boundaries up, 
then then the behavior continues. You see what I'm saying? You have to so be a mosquito I, in their ear. Yeah, exactly. Like you've been saying. I mean, nothing so. will get done if you don't keep bothering them. And that that's that's what I'm trying to get people. You don't like what the government is doing? Well, whose fault is that? If you haven't been paying attention, that's on you. You have to follow up. You have to hold them accountable when they're not that's doing true. what they said they were going to do when you elected them. You can't be complacent at a time like this. So, yeah, I'm glad that we have a larger presence of Black Lives Matter in 2020. But I'm still going to be skeptical and say, how long will it be before this fizzles out and we're back to where we started? Good point. Yeah. Well, I just, I, I feel that we need to, like you said, keep, keep our foot on the gas. You know, every time these situations happen, there should be a consequence behind it. Did you guys hear that there was just another situation in Atlanta? Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, just... Yeah. I don't know. It's well, just, it's just... I feel mixed about it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I'm saying this because I saw the video. I saw it several times. Okay, so from what I understood, he was drunk. He's, he's, he was he was asleep in his car at the Wendy's. Some say they called on him because he was blocking the drive through I don't know anything about that. So, you know, they they handcuff him because, you know, he can't drive because he's drunk. Okay, I get that. So, you know, he wiggles away from them. He manages to get a taser. He points it at the cop, but he's still running away from the cop, but they still shoot him. So I'm I'm mixed on, the, on where to stand on that because, okay, it's a black man who's wriggling away from the police. Come on, man. You're black. You think they're just going to let you uh, struggle and, and, not, and not risk getting shot even if you aren't planning on killing them? So I look yeah. at that, but then at the same time, it was unnecessary for them to shoot him again. He was running away, just like Sean Reed was. He was running away from the police. Why would you just want to shoot a person who's running away from you? He didn't have a gun. He just had a stun gun. So I'm very divided on this issue because I don't want any monkey wrenches getting in the way of our uh, of Black Lives Matter, especially when you yeah. have when you have crimes where the guy who's being apprehended was in the wrong. Yeah. But I'll say this though, so and, and let me know what you feel about this. It's mighty funny that you know protocol gets thrown out of the when it comes to black people, but you have mass killers and mass shooters such as Dylan Roof and and just countless others, like, you know, that seem to be able to be apprehended without any incident. And, like, they're treated with royalty when they are apprehended. You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't have a scratch, bruise, or blemish on them. They get treated very well my thing is, this is that's what I'm saying. It's not consistent across the board. There's two different justice systems. You know, equal justice. People, yeah, we don't see it. Like a lot of people are saying, you know, uh, like 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 what's her name? Candace Owens is talking about. Well, 
wasn't he was he was a criminal this that and blah blah blah. But regardless to what they did, that does not justify them being killed. That does not merit you being, being executed. Your your life being snatched from you. So my thing is, it needs to be equal protection under the law. It needs to be everything needs to be clear cut across the board. You can't have a, a, a certain standard for a certain group of people, and then that that standard is different when you're dealing with all others. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm exactly. talking about. You know, but I, that's I just. The thing. Mm-hmm. That's just the thing. We live in a capitalist nation, which means even law enforcement can be bought at the at the highest price. So it's no, it was never equal to begin with. Yeah. We have to deal with police unions. We have to deal with politicians. We have to deal with people, the middlemen, who who make it so that they can pay whoever that's been convicted of the crime in the police force so that they get they post bail. I mean, the guy who was responsible for George Floyd's death posted bail. None of us should be surprised. But we got to follow the money. Money makes anything Mm -hmm. that seems equal and fair not. It's not equal. It never was. And we have to stop assuming that that it is. But you're right. I mean, it, it is ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know. It's just it's just so much going on. Um, you know, um I, I just I just feel that this year has definitely been the year of exposure. Twenty twenty vision is the, the thing mm. that, that I, I I have it on my Facebook page, twenty twenty vision. There's so many things that have taken place this year that has exposed so many people. You know, um and, and, it, and it's been kind of painful, too, you know, because you, you really get to see people that you thought felt a certain way about certain issues or certain things. You really got to see their colors through a lot of these um, incidents that have taken place. And I just we never feel that. for that hindsight. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I, I want to get to, I got a couple more stories, and then we're going to jump off here tonight. Um, when we when we talk about allyship, I really think, especially when it comes to our Caucasian brothers and sisters, you know, I feel that a lot of times I, I think that they should check their privilege at the door and use their platforms to speak out against injustice. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you are in an interracial relationship or if you have friends that are um, minorities in general, I feel that you need to use your influence and your voice to speak out on things. You know, when you are around a group of friends, you're around somebody that's making trash-like statements, you need to be vocal about that. You know what I'm saying? And I, I think that that's What's going to be the thing that is going to challenge the system, and and I and I am starting to see that. Like you have people that are challenging the system, and they are standing up. So that's why I'm saying not not every white person is the enemy. Just like every black person isn't 
isn't for you. You know what I'm saying? So we, I'm going to be doing a video mm-hmm. on that stuff because I think we need to stop burning our bridges because if we have people that are willing to be our allies, we need to realize that, you know, uh, not every white person is against us and not every black person is for you. You know what I'm saying? So we got we to gotta realize that. You know what I'm saying? So Loyalty and should I, not be... Lo- yeah. And loyalty should yeah, not be... Uh, you find it this color. Yeah, and I think one person that I, I am, I'm, I, you know, I, I read this article about um, Taylor Swift. She's using her voice to um, urge Tennessee leaders to remove its racist, racist statue in an emotional Instagram post. And this this article comes from L Magazine, and it states today Taylor Swift let her 134 million Instagram followers know where she stands when it comes to preserving monuments that honor racist figures. Her powerful post comes a few days after finally advocating for Black Lives Matter movement on Twitter. She, she quote, I'm asking the Capitol Commission and Tennessee Historical Commission to please consider the implications of how hurtful it would be to continue fighting for these monuments. Um, Swift captioned a lengthy statement on Instagram. When you fight to honor races, you show black Tennesseans and all their allies where you stand, and you continue this cycle of hurt. You can't change history, but you can change this. Um, And her Instagram post stated, as a Tennessean, it makes me sick that there are monuments in our state that celebrate racist historical figures who did evil things. Edward Carmack, Nathan Bedford Forrest were despicable figures in our state history and should be treated as such. I see so, that with Nathan Bedford Forrest. Yeah. Because you say you lived, lived in Memphis um, for two years. Yeah. yeah I lived in Memphis for two years. There's a, there's a park in downtown Memphis that is uh, I believe named after him. There's several Confederate statues um, in Memphis, and so it's not the first time I've heard that they're that they want these gone. Um, I just don't want them destroyed. I want them to preserve because, again, I'm an artist, and the the, the person that sculpted those statues, come on, you're destroying their person's work, regardless of who the statue is. Don't please don't destroy them. I, I would like to see them placed in a museum or storage. Hell, you could put it put them away, but don't destroy them. Because I at feel, the same time, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I'm going to cut you off. So I agree with you on that. But I feel that these statues and things should not be on state-funded or, like, you know what I'm saying, be on, be on, I don't know, it shouldn't be. Property. State property. Taxpayer property. Taxpayer property. I just I don't feel that that needs to be there. That's inappropriate. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, I'm glad that, I mean. that a lot of uh, states, I think even Indianapolis is starting to re- remove um, statues that are like that. I think that's, it was some um, Garfield Park. So I, I think that that needs to be done. You know what I'm saying? I, I just... I, but I don't think that history needs to be erased because when you erase history, you're doomed to repeat it. You have to learn history 
And you have to acknowledge that. That's an ugly part of exactly. history. But we, we need to not we need not erase that. I would that's why we have to be careful that we're not censoring it. Yes. Yes. Um, I'd like to create a museum entitled What Not to Do. And take all those Confederate statues and put them all in there and explain to not just American citizens, even though American citizens even really see this, but to everyone around the world, this is what you don't do. These are the this is the losing side. Right. This side advocated for something that is terrible and unjust. Mm-hmm. So and, and that's that's why I'm saying like, you know, we we need people with platforms like Taylor Swift. Like you said, she had she has over 134 million Instagram followers, and that's what I'm saying with white people. If you want to be our allies, you need to check your privilege at the door, and you need to use you know your influence and your voice to speak out on the issue. Because what good is it that okay? You may be personally against something, but if you're not speaking out against it, and you have the means to educate and, and enlighten people on something, what's the point of you having all these followers and all this influence if you're not going to do anything positive with it? You see what I'm saying? Like, and, and you're sitting mm-hmm. up here talking about you're an ally, but you're not doing anything with your influence. Check your privilege at the door. And I follow somebody called, his name's Justin James. Um, King of Reeves, and he he always says that people need to check their privilege at the door. You know, if you are in a certain group and you know you have an edge over another group and you and you have influence and you have the power to um, speak out against something and you have that influence, you need to use that influence. You see what I'm saying? It, it doesn't make sense exactly. to, to say that you're you know, against something, and you're not doing anything to kind of help that situation. That's, I guess that's what I'm saying. So I saw that was an article that was interesting to me, and also I want to talk about, uh, let's see, move on, if I can get this article pull up. Yeah, um, Justice Smith, now, um, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but they said that he came out as queer in solidarity for black LGBTQ plus lives. And this article comes from Advocate, um, and it it states, I'm not going to read the whole article, but I'm just going to give you the the, um, gist of it. While attending Friday's protest against white supremacy and police brutality in New Orleans, Jurassic World, the Fallen Kingdom star Justice Smith came out as queer to bring more visibility to the black trans and queer lives movement. The actor posted a video on Instagram alongside his partner, fellow actor Nicholas Ash. Together, Smith and Ash were among thousands of peaceful demonstrators across the nation marching for racial injustice following the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, a black trans man who was killed by police. Now, a lot of people don't even talk about that that, that one in particular, too. It's been so many of them. Um, and then it goes on to say, 
that um, he quoted. He says, um, Nick Ash and I protested today in New Orleans, Smith wrote. We chanted Black Trans Lives Matter, Black Queer Lives Matter, All Black Lives Matter. As a, as a black queer man myself, I was disappointed to see certain people eager to say Black Lives Matter but hold their tongues when Black Trans queer, trans and Queer was added. I, was, I wanted to reiterate this statement. If your revolution does not include Black queer voice, voices, it's anti-Black. If your revolution is okay with letting black trans people like Tony McDay slip through the cracks in order to liberate black cis men and anti-black, it's anti-black. Um, and then he continues to say, you're trying to push yourself through the door of a system designed against you and then shut the door behind you. It's in our conditioning to get as close to whiteness, straightness, maleness, as we can, because that's where the power is. And if we appeal to it, maybe it'll give us a slice. But the revolution is not about appeal. It's about demanding what should have been given to us from the beginning. What should have been given to black, queer, and trans individuals from the beginning, which is right, the right to exist, to live and prosper in public without fear of persecution of threat or violence. And I'm not going to uh, finish this article. You guys can check it out. The article is entitled, once again, Justice Smith Comes Out as Queer in Solidarity for Black LGBTQ Plus Lives. And you can find that on theadvocate.com. And, again, like I said, this is a brother that is using his platform and his influence to shed light. Because he could have easily stayed in the closet and lived his private life with his partner, but he chose to come out and stand in solidarity and say, hey, look, you know, he made some good points. Because this is something that bothers me. And I'm not saying all people in the black community are like it, because they're not. But you have some people within the black community that feel that um, rights for gay, um, lesbian, transgender uh, men and women, we shouldn't even be paying attention to that. At the end of the day, I think, they're yeah. black like you. They are your people. You know what I'm saying? And it just seems to me a group of people that claims to be oppressed, it, it's just that you would forgive people within your own community that are part of a subculture. You, you forget them and shun them away. You know, I just think I just think that it's just, I, I think that the hypocrisy is real sometimes. Like, And I, I think that he made some good points in this article, and I, I think that we need to really address that. Like, I, I feel that our community is overlooked. You know, you know, yeah. whether it's even in the even in the church community, like even in the religious sector. Like, I know of so many people, and I don't care what nobody say. Y'all can get mad if you want to, because you know this is my platform. I'm gonna say what the hell I want to say, and I'm gonna keep it real over here. The church killed me. Y'all want to always condemn the gays. And y'all want to act like they don't exist and, and their lives don't matter. But you don't mind the gays coming in and doing X, Y, and the church, working hard in the church, getting your music ministries together, doing all this stuff for you. 
but they don't matter. As long as they stay in the background, they cool. But you but you ain't gonna but you but you against the homosexuality, but as long as they doing something for you in your ministry, that's all good. And I think a lot of times we get used in our we get used for the things that we can do for other people, but they don't want to reciprocate that and support us as a community. I think that we need to start calling these people to task. You know what I'm saying? Um so many times you, you they want to steal our fashions, they want to steal our lingo, they want to steal everything from us, but still at the same time you want to condemn us. My thing is don't be lukewarm, be either hot or cold. Either you're gonna be for us or you're gonna be against us. You see what I'm saying? And I don't want to hear exactly. stuff. I, I, I just don't want to. I don't want to hear it. I just. I just don't want to hear it. I, I just really don't want to hear it. This movement in in this time, this century, is not going to make the same mistakes that the civil rights movement made by excluding people people in the gay community. We won't make that same mistake. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's us yeah. out there. We're the ones out there protesting. We're the ones out there protesting the loudest and the hardest. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I just feel that <clears throat> overlooking us is just a slap in the face. And I'm going to tell you guys to check out this video I was watching on YouTube by T.S. Madison. And she just did a piece on her her channel talking about, you know, I'm going to quote it. I said, bitch, I'm black. And to me, she made a good statement. She says, "You know, I'm I'm black as you. You know, what I'm saying I'm so black that I I uh." <laughs> she said, "I didn't even comb this 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 nappy wig on top of my head before I put it on. I I I put spam and salad. I this 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 and that. You know, I'm 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 black. But to me, you don't see my blackness. You just see my my transgenderness or my gayness or this that and the other, and." That kind of hurts because I'm standing up for you. Why can't you reciprocate that and stand up for me? And I just feel at the end of the day, we all are in this together. Because at the end of the day, they don't care if you're trans. They don't care if you're gay, straight, bisexual. They will kill you. They will they will shoot you down. And they won't think twice about it. You know what I'm saying? So I think we need to get out of that mindset where we're separate. That's what happens to a lot of our movements in the black community, we become separated because of some trivial nonsense. And when there's that separation or that divide, it's easy to come in and conquer. You see what I'm saying? So we need to stand in solidarity. Whether you agree with the lifestyle or not, or whatever you consider the lifestyle, that's besides the point. We need to stand together and put all that stuff to to the side and then Whatever. Once we get what we need to get accomplished, then we can get back to that. But right now, this is not the time to be divided. We can't be divided right now. You know what I'm saying? That's just how I feel about it. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm about these celebrities using their influence. You know what I'm saying? Because we, I, I, I've seen so much tap dancing and just cooning the last couple weeks um we got people like little wayne sitting up here talking about we need to blame ourselves and racism doesn't exist and then you have trina out here calling the protesters animals 
But, I saw that video. Wow, I was laughing. Yeah. My God. Calling, yeah, I I did a video on that. You guys need to go to youtube.com slash UCOFW and check out my commentaries on that. But people are dragging people like Trina and Shekinah Joe, who is Tiny's best friend, Tiny, who's a part of Escape and T.I.'s wife. She was crying because the people were looting Lennox Mall and um, the Gucci store. Talking about Gucci ain't did nothing to y'all, and these police ain't did nothing to y'all. <laughs> yeah, and she had to get up damn live with that um with that damn bonnet on her head, looking like Aunt Jemima, looking like somebody's man. It's just <laughs> it's just it's sad. Like, and then Trina, how can you sit up here and talk about somebody being animals when you are sitting on when you when you been promoting animal like behavior for years through your music and on your reality show Love and Hip Hop, like you you want to talk about animal like behavior? Look at your own life, and and I just feel that 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 show that she's on down there, they need to cancel that show because we do not need people like her on the air right now. That even Kyle went after her ass. Exactly, it's just. Oh, it's it's just it's sad. It's it's just really sad what's going on with these people. It's just I I, I don't know. A lot of celebrities just like to do things for photo ops. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> yeah, and a lot of those a lot of and a lot of those celebrities that went to that funeral, George Floyd's funeral, people are calling them out. Like y'all just here just for a photo op. That's that's all these y'all don't even know this man. Right. I was like, where were you? Exactly. Where where have y'all been? Um, well, we got a don't want to be around us common folk. Yeah. Uh, we got a phone. We got a caller online. We're gonna go to lines real quick and see if they have a comment or something to add to the um, discussion in general. Um, caller ending in seven eight three four. Do you have a question or comment about what's been going on? In the news, um, we're just talking about um, just a lot of things that are going on. Um, I wanted to, after we take this call from now, I really want to get on this Oprah and Monique situation, but I just wanted to see if you had anything to add to discussion right now or are you no, nope, I'm just listening. Okay, all right, we we appreciate you um, joining us tonight. Um, I want to get on the whole entire Oprah and Monique situation. Now, as many like many of you may know that this whole feud between Oprah and um well Monique and Oprah, Tyler Perry, Lee Daniels, and um who am I forgetting? Okay, Tyler Perry, Lee Daniels, and Oprah has it's been going on for years. And, you know, it, it stands back to the whole situation of her playing in Precious in two thousand and nine. And how um, she took on this role, and she, you know, she she did it as a favor. She did the project. She only, you know, they gave her fifty thousand dollars, but they wanted her to promote the movie. But she didn't want to do that because she already gave her time up and 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 you know all her energy up on this movie. She wasn't getting really compensated for it, and you know at that time, you know, she had a family and stuff like that. And she just couldn't do it. You know what I'm saying? You know, they wanted her to promote this movie for free. And because of that, Lee Daniels and Tyler Perry put the narrative out there that she's difficult to work with. 
and you know, and then Oprah comes in the the uh, the picture because she went on Oprah's. Well, her and Oprah used to be close, and she had a conversation with Oprah about her life and about her being abused, sexually abused by her brother and stuff like that. So Oprah goes behind her back and she contacts her family and has them on the show to talk about the abuse without Monique knowing about this or, you know, writing off. Because, you know, this is something that she told her in confidence. And Oprah feels like she's done nothing wrong to Monique, and she refuses to apologize. But yet she she does this special talking about where do we go from here with all this racial injustice and stuff going on. Monique pretty much says, how can you sit here and say that we need to admit to what we we've done wrong and what's going on as a country, but you can't even admit what you done wrong to me as your black sister and how you betrayed my trust, but yet you want to get on here and talk about this stuff. And you're the same person that's out here uh trashing black men, but yet you're glorifying white men that are accused of the same sexual misconduct like Harvey Weinstein Stein, and, and, and countless others that are your friends in Hollywood. So this has been going on for a long time. A lot of people are saying how Oprah and Gail are pretty much enemies of black society. She pretty much uses black people to come up and line her pockets and her bank, bank account. But when it comes to issues of injustice and doing what's right, Oprah is a hypocrite. So what do you feel about the entire Oprah situation? I don't know if you guys have been following that. What do you feel about that, Philip? Do you think that Oprah is like a friend of black society or do you think that she has um, capitalized off of us and she has been like an opportunist? Like how do you feel about Oprah? Philip there? I don't know if you he can hear us. Oh, I'm sorry. I was muted. <laughs> um, okay. What I, what I was saying was, of, of course she's an opportunist. I mean, if anyone hasn't figured that out by now about Oprah, I pity them. I mean, <laughs> Oprah's going to do what Oprah's going to do. And I, I mean, you have to see it from her perspective. She's, you know, she's a successful woman. She has a talk show empire. Anything that she says personally to, uh, towards our cause, it wholeheartedly is probably going to affect her. And she probably just doesn't want to risk that. But at the same time, she, she was opportunistic by doing that to Monique. That was, you know, I mean, Monique had every right to be upset. I'd be upset too if I told you something in confidence and then you go and you blab the people and then you have the, the nerve to tell me, oh, well, I was just trying to help you. And I think that's why she won't apologize. She thought that she was doing Monique a favor. But, when, but in reality, she was just doing it for herself. And that's, that's called an ulterior motive. People sometimes will help you if it means helping themselves and not necessarily for your benefit. Mm-hmm. 
And I just, like, my whole thing is with Oprah and the whole, like, and Gail and stuff like that, that situa- these situations that's been going on. It's just like, my thing is, I wouldn't have a problem with her if she was fair and consistent across the board. Constantly, yeah. You're constantly throwing black men under the bus. You're constantly attacking black men. But when it comes to Hollywood, you ain't about that life because you don't want to attack the hand that you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. And this is why I feel like, and I'm not trying to get into the whole conspiracy thing, but I think Oprah probably done sold her soul. She done sold out to, to Hollywood, and she's in debt to them people in Hollywood. So she's not gonna mess with no rich, powerful white men because they they will easily end her career. Yeah. And she probably got some skeletons yeah. in her. And yep, they will do. Be, I mean, yeah. And, and, and you know how they are good at digging stuff up because there's been some scandals with Oprah that I, I'm figuring, I'm trying to think like how the hell did this stuff just disappear? So they make things disappear for her, but if she pissed off, pisses off the wrong person, you best believe that stuff is going to resurface, especially with that school. Um, over there in Africa, she, they, they, they school with, for them girls over there, all that sexual molestation and stuff that happened, allegedly, how that all disappeared. You, you best believe that she pissed off, pisses off the wrong person, some stuff is going to resurface about Oprah. She got some skeletons. I just, I've always been, I've always felt, I've always had a school of thought that any person that is a billionaire that has that much money, you did some shady stuff to get to the top. I don't care what nobody said. Like most people, you know, your books may be in a row, all in a row, and your ducks may be in a row now, but you had to get that capital somehow, and you did some shady stuff to get where you were. Because that, you know, I, I just, I, I, and I think that she's no exception to that. You know what I'm saying? So, I I don't know. I really think over the past 35 some odd years that she was on the air, I think she's used black people as a means to an end. Ooh! And Oprah knows mm. I mean, Oprah is. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. She rocks that boat. I mean, her career is fun. Yeah. Gail, too. Oh, yes. Mm. I mean, it's like that Black Mirror episode. I think the very first episode we watched, the very first season, Jonathan, uh, what was it called? Shut Up and Dance? Um, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya plays the main character that has to get on a American Idol-like show and win the audition so that he can have a better life. He'll have to get on a, on a bike like everyone else. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. I think it's the second episode. Mm. Yeah, second episode. Well, anyway, that's what it, it applies to this, too. It, it applies to this. Because when you finally reach the top of something – after experiencing so much struggle from a system that puts you there in the first place, the, the thing about it is, what would you do in that, in that point? If you, if you spent your whole life trying to expose all of the corruption, 
But now you're in the ivory tower yourself. Now you can use that platform to help people, but you can't because if you do, you'll be back there right along with them. So maybe that might be the case with Oprah. Um, That might be the case. Maybe she does want to help, but she can't because look how hard she had to work to make the Oprah show happen. I mean, after being rejected from, from one news station to another, I get that. But at the same time, when you, I, I think that a lot of people who are at the top, some of them have a lot to lose, and that's why they probably kept their mouth shut. Good point. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm really thinking about doing a documentary or doing like a whole, like an entire show on Oprah, like really doing some research and just following her life and just, you know, some of her, um, some of the um, things that she had to go through with some of the, uh, what's the word, the controversy that she's been involved in. Because I'm telling you, like, her life is very interesting when you when you start to take that magnifying glass and start looking at little small things and just looking at her life and her upbringing and just um, her rise to the top and, and, and who she had to bump shoulders with to get to where she is. It's very interesting and just how her platform has changed throughout the years and how it's just like she did a complete – um, 180. You know, it's just it's her life is very interesting, and it's just I I, I just I don't know, man. I, I just think it's some dark stuff in there. It's it's some dark stuff in her life. You know, what I'm saying on one hand, I, I, a lot mm-hmm. of people praise her on the surface for being a successful black businesswoman, but at what cost did that come? But what, what at what cost did that success come? You know what I'm saying? And I, I really think, you know, did she have to sell out her, her people and sell her soul to get to where she is? Because if that's the case, then should we be really idolizing her, um, you know what I'm saying, as someone that is an influential black businesswoman? You know, I we think have it's to more look of at white housewives that idolize her. Yeah. So I think black society has kind of pretty much written her off. You know what I'm saying? But I, I don't know. I'm going to go back to the lines again. I'm going to ask 7834. I'm going to ask you one more time. If you're still listening, that's fine. But I, now that you've been on the show for a while, I I just wanted to see if you had something to say or if you're just still listening. No, I'm just listening. Okay. All right. Yeah, I want to wrap the show up tonight. Um, another article I got from theadvocate.com. Um, it was in a commentary piece entitled Happy Pride. What do we have to be proud of? And I'm going to wrap the show up with this because I think this really speaks to what's going on right now. This piece was written by Daylor Stout. And it was written on June 8, 2020, and it reads as such. Happy Pride. This is a phrase I would have uttered thousands of times starting June 1st, the first day of Pride Month. I had some damn high hopes for Pride in the year of 2020. 
I published my first book, Our Gay History in 50 States, and planned an amazing whirlwind book tour advocating at, uh, advocating for inclusion of more diverse tradition of our community's history. I envisioned myself demanding more states join the ranks of California, Colorado, New Jersey, Illinois, and Oregon in requ- requiring the teaching of LGBTQ history in, school, in schools. I had a total um, goal to get 1,725 books donated to the LGBTQ plus youth-focused learning centers across the country, especially in the conservative states and counties, so that kids there know that they are seen, valued, and a part of the rich community that has contributed so much to this country. However, my plans were hit with a one-two punch, first COVID-19, and then the murder of George Floyd. I'm a black man in Minneapolis, and my world stopped on Memorial Day. The black community is crippled with grief and anger, but not believe, disbelief. We've seen this story before. We watched Ahmaud Arbery murdered by vigilantes. We followed the trial of Trayvon Martin's murder as the state let him walk free. Uh, our eyes were glued to the video of Eric Garner in New York gasping for his last breath, crying out, I can't breathe. George Floyd said, I can't breathe, too. And yet we are still here, still unable to breathe. The black community, my community, is being snuffed out and nobody cares. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the first Pride March, which began as a commemoration of the events of June 28, 1969, when empowered by the Black Power's women's liberation and anti-war movement, the patrons of Stonewall Inn said, enough is enough. Black, brown, transgender, and gender non-binary people, a revolutionary riot lasted six days. There were both peaceful protesters and defiant protesters. There was unrest, there was violence, there was property damage, and people went to jail. Today, the country celebrates the contributions, their contributions, even though none of them were celebrated at the time. Stonewall, like every ride in this country's history, was sparked by pushback against the police violence and brutality. Today, I stand stand. As I stand in Minneapolis, I ask, where is the groundswell of LGBTQ plus community warriors now when my black community is under attack? Peaceful Black Lives Matter protests occurred at pride parades across the country have been met with boos, jeers, and social media rants. This is what happens when we fail to tell the history of our movement, including who was involved from the, the very beginning. This is what occurs when we fail to ensure that black, brown, indigenous voices are part of our leadership structure and have an equal voice. Without diverse voices in history and uh, diverse voices in leadership, people believe that false narrative that white gays and lesbians secured gains on their own without the rest of us. Mm-mm-mm. Contrary to to the beliefs of heterosexual communities, we are not one big happy family. 
they'd be shocked to learn racism exists in the LGBT community. And it's an ailment we as a community need to address. I don't have to go far to see posts from my gay, white, male, cisgender friends who can, without irony, ask, why are they damaging property? Can't they protest peacefully while in the same breath post happy pride? Pride was a riot, not an uprising or a protest. It was a riot. Rioting cannot be celebrated for the white LGBTQ rights while ignoring when my life is on the line. How can queer people of color, uh, the pure people of color community celebrate pride when racism within our own community is just as prevalent as the broader community? Ask any LGBTQ plus person of color, you know if they have ever experienced racism from within the, our community. Then in let me, then in this is important. Sit back and just listen. Why did it take the murder of George Floyd for you to include us in solidarity solidarity march in LA in New York Pride? We told you about Eric Gardner, Sarah Bland, Trayvon Martin, and Philandro Cast. We told you we feared we'd be next, but you wouldn't listen. We are all hurting. The black community is hurting. The trans community is hurting. Your silence, it, your silence regarding the value of our lives let, let us know where you stand. My community here in Minnesota is legitimately in fear that their homes will be targeted by white supremacists if they proudly raise their pride flag alongside of their Black Lives Matter flag. And all are welcome here, line signs. The fear is akin to a fearing that you will wake up in the middle of the night with a cross burning in your line. Where is groundswell from where's the groundswell from my white LGBTQ plus warriors? Where are our allies? You know what it's like to feel second class to be a second class citizen in this country. We all should be out fighting this fight and not just smattering not just a smattering of us here and there. Although virtually all in-person Pride events have been canceled for this June, let us take this time to recalibrate regarding what it truly means to be in the community with one another. So uh, that was a piece from, let me get his name again, Daylor Stout, and I, I really would, urge you guys to really go and read that because there is a lot of truth in this. These are sentiments that I've been saying for years. I've always said that there has been um, racism within the LGBT community, but people want to hear that. People think, especially in the heterosexual community, they feel that all gays are the same. All gays are like, there's no discrimination within the gay community. And even outside the issue of race, we even look at in, in the gay community, like in different sects of the community, that there's discrimination. And this group doesn't like this group over here because they're femme. You don't like this group over here because they're bears. You don't like the fats, the femme, the, the skinny, the skinny twink boys, this, that, and the other. There is very little cohesiveness within the gay community. Um, Jonathan, you remember that 
that video that we watched on Vice when they had that panel of 12 different, it was about 12 different gays from different walks of life. And to me, I left that watching that, my head was spinning. My head was hurting. I, I left totally hopeless for the community because there was so much tension within that discussion. Nothing got accomplished. And if anything, that really hurt us as a community because people see that we're so divided. And a lot of people will be surprised that when, when you say that there is racism in the gay community, it is. And like I always say, just because a person gay, that doesn't exempt them from being a racist, a bigot, um, or any other thing like that. That's just a part of your biology. That doesn't, you know what I'm saying? That, that doesn't mean anything. I feel that that article really called out a lot of people, and I think we have a lot to reevaluate this year. And I do think that it's a good thing that we don't have pride this year because we do need to sit back and think about things. We don't need to be out here celebrating and doing this, that, and the other right now. It's too much going on in the world, and we have a lot of issues in our community that we need to address before we have another pride celebration. We don't have we don't have no business having no pride this year. What we got to be proud of? We got trans women of color being killed. You have uh, black people being killed in the street by race soldiers. You have black people being killed by vigil annies, and, and we have something to celebrate. We don't have anything to celebrate. And then you have people in the white gay community, and I'm not saying all of them because there are some people that are standing up for a change, but you have some people in the community that are speaking against this movement, yeah. and it's disgusting. You know, I just, I don't know. I mean, what do you guys feel about that piece that I just read. Do you think that there was a lot of truth in that? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Bill, what do you feel about that? What, what do you feel about those issues that I just brought up? I don't think I muted them again. I'm sorry. I did it again. I apologize. Um, what I was saying, okay, first of all, we... It is okay to have preferences when it comes to hooking up with a person or dating yeah. a person, which I've accepted because when I first came out, I didn't like the fact that I felt like I was in high school again. I was placed into a category, a clique, and I never dreamed that coming out would feel like I, like I was in high school again. So I understand that people are not attracted to me because of my skin color, fine, or because I don't have a, an Adonis body, okay. But don't fucking sit there and talk about, oh, you tolerate everyone, you're, you love everybody, and yet you never ask me to hang out with you because I'm not mm. one of those guys. And that's some bullshit. So that's why I don't go to pride events because I'm like, what's the point? Pride is signified, pride has a symbol. It's always going to be some scantily clad, glistening, muscled uh, jock or daddy who's either hairy with a beard, who's most likely white and above six foot two on a, on a prize float for, uh, uh, for Stoli Vodka. That's what people think of gay, pride, that. 
And it's, it's what you said. People don't know that Pride was started by the trans community. No one knows who the fuck uh, Marsha T. Johnson is. So, yeah, I think mm. it's because a lot of people are uneducated. That's why Pride feels the way it does. And that needs to change. We have to learn about this history. Because yes. now everyone's going to assume that's what it means to be gay. And that this is the monolith that we have to strive for in relationships. Now, I, I like white men. I do. But at the same time, I'm not going to only just associate with white people at the bar or during a discussion. No. Right. Because as a black man, I know what it's like to be excluded. So who am I to exclude someone based on that? They, I mean, no. What I, I'm, I'm not interested in dating transgender people, but that doesn't mean I don't value them as people. That doesn't mean I'm not going to talk to any of them. Because when we watch Pose, that show gave me, even though it was just a show, it gave me the empathy that I needed to connect with these people in that community. Because I didn't know what transgendered was. No one, none of us did. So a lot of it has to do with, you know, the lack of education about our history. And we need to change that. Because we're not unified. We're, 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 not, we're not a community. I didn't feel like being in the city for six years, there was a community. So maybe it's a good thing that we don't have pride this year. Because, I mean, what's the point? It's just it's going to feel, uh, if out of all the, the other 364 days, it's going to feel the same for us black folks. Yeah. While you were talking, Philip, I wrote down two things because I, I didn't want to forget about it uh, while you were talking about it. And two things came to my mind. Um, as far as the issue of interracial dating within the gay community, I don't feel that there's anything wrong with that, obviously. Um, you know, because a lot of people have this, this bullshit notion, well, if you date outside your race, how can you be pro-black and how can you be about your people? I said, that's bullshit. Because I can be with somebody of another race. I can be with, with somebody that's white. And, and I'm going to tell you this. I'm not going to shuck and jive and tap dance and coon because I'm with somebody that's white. Either you're going to be in support of me or you're not. Your politics is going to have to align with mine. I'm not going to diminish who I am as a person and settle out who I am just to be with somebody else. That's right. So I feel that a lot of times a lot of gay black men, because I can speak about the gay black men, and I'm pretty sure it's gay black gay black women that do this, but you feel that you have to sell out yourself or sell out who you are as a person or or uh, compromise your integrity because you with somebody who is Caucasian or from another ethnicity, that says a lot about you, more so than the person that's the bigot or the racist that you're with. Because there's no way in hell I'm going to just negotiate that. I can't negotiate who I am. That's who how God made me. And if you really care and love love me, you're going to be in support of me 100%. And that's just how I feel about that. And another thing that I want to that I wrote down that I thought of while while you were talking is the whole thing about pride. 
it seems like the only time that black people are celebrated is in pride. And we talked about this, Jonathan, is when we're on stage, as long as we on stage tap dancing and 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 and, and, and twirling and, 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 and whirling and singing, like as long as we putting on a minstrel show and, and, and entertainment, the masses, that's the only part we play in pride. They don't want to address what's going on in our communities. They don't want to address the, um, the in the, the black LGBT community. They don't want to showcase us in any other capacity besides being a minstrel show. As long as we're tap dancing, as long as we're like a um, uh, what's that artist that came um last year? Uh, as long as we're Lizzo, we're you know big old. Ain't your mama mammy making an ass out of ourselves, over-sexualizing ourselves, and putting ourselves out there in a negative light. They'll, they'll commemorate that. They'll, you know, they'll put, we can be in pride in that capacity, but if it has anything to do with anything serious about black businesses or about elevating ourselves as a group within the LGBT community, they don't want no part of that. And I I blame us for that, and that's that's the reason why people wonder why why we gotta have black pride, why we gotta have gay pride, black pride, because you guys in the mainstream pride do not want to highlight the black gay community in a positive light. You know, you just want it to be a white mainstream type of event, and you don't you you don't want to showcase. Hell, you don't even want to showcase within the community. Hell, you don't even want to showcase the fact that we got bears in the community. We got the chubs, the twinks, the film. We got the trans. Like, y'all don't want to showcase none of that. If it ain't got nothing to do with us being showcased in a negative light, then they don't want, we just are non-existent in it. So, like you need to stop taking from our culture and not support it at the same time. Yep, appropriating. Yeah, I just, I'm just, to me, I, I know this sounds bad. I'm just glad that they, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that there ain't no pride here. It don't bother me because all these queens don't. Because honey, all these queens don't do y'all. Y'all run around and and, and hug and kiss on each other, talking about y'all love each other, and we talk about pride and unity. But as soon as Pride is over with. As soon as Pride Month is going, y'all are back at the same old, same old. All this division and all this hatred towards one another, all this intolerance towards one another, and it's just like, what do we go through all this? What do we go through all this for every year? We go through the we go through the motion, but there's no, I don't know. We we just going through the motions as as a group right now. We not we not walking. Not walking the walk. We we talk a big game, but we not walking that talk or whatever. I think I got that mixed. Or man, okay. yeah, talking and talking, walking, the walk. talking and talking, walking the walk, pretty much. So I just, I just, to me, it's just the hypocrisy behind. It. I just, I don't know. But I put up a post on Instagram from um, the setting Sam Kalini, and it comes from Twitter. A bunch of muscle queens giving us dirty looks for being too fat, too thin, too old, and too ethnic 
while Ooh. taking their casinos and corporate-sponsored floats have been replaced by a group of people protesting bigotry. This might be the best prize since Stonewall. Mm. I got a lot of uh, a lot of likes on that, and there's been a few people that have um, commented on it, feeling that over the past few years they feel that they haven't been represented at Pride. Well, I'm going to tell you this, Jonathan. I'm going to ask how do you feel about this? Do you feel that we have made a mistake by making Pride corporate? Like, Absolutely. I really feel that the authenticity of it has been compromised because now we have the corporate interest in it. And anytime you start having corporations buy into your movement, then it compromises that movement. And I feel that we have made a mistake by doing that. But now that's that, now that's why we could everything's so watered down. They don't want to take a stand on things because the corporations are behind it. Yeah. And you lose that you you lose your voice when you become a prisoner of somebody or become a prisoner of corporations. You know, and I'm wondering that's that if that's why Pride, Indy Pride was originally kind of reluctant in speaking out against the whole Sean Reed thing. And maybe they saw once that it was popular or it was the end thing to do to, to say Black Lives Matter, then they felt it was okay. It was bandwagonism. So do you feel that that could have been a bandwagon type of situation? I sure do. Yeah. I think a lot of, this, I'm going to say this first, that a lot of younger gays mm-hmm. 18 to 25 range, or even maybe even younger, or a little older than that, um, they see pride, and they see those folks coming down the street that this organization is being sponsored by Smirnoff, or this one other organization is being sponsored by Delta Airlines, and there's a, there's a lot of symbolism in that, that if, yeah, the corporation, yeah, they may be sponsoring it, but they're only doing it mainly at a tax write-off. Yeah. And they're doing it for PR purposes instead of the original purpose of pride. Um, yeah. I'm looking at So in essence, you're pretty much saying that uh, that these corporations are not in for it. They're not in it for the right reason. Yeah. And and it kind of waters down what pride is and the message behind pride. That's what you're pretty much saying. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So uh, we, we have to be careful about that. That's a, that's another topic I want to do. Um, I want to do a topic on um, when corporations buy into a movement, like what happens when that, and this is a totally, I mean, this is a good example that demonstrates what happens when you have corporations buy into things like pride. You know, you get these watered down movements, you know, where it's all about, you know, entertaining the people and not educating people. Pride should be just as much as you entertain people, you need to be educating people because there is some serious things that are going on out here as far as to help in our community, you need to be telling people to get tested. 
You need to tell people to be responsible about their sexual health. Right. And not only that, you need to be addressing the issues of um, homelessness amongst LGBT youth. There's a gamut of issues that Pride could be highlighting. And I'm not saying that they don't at these festivals, but it, get lo- it gets lost in all the hoopla and all the, the festivities. It's not about getting drunk until you pass out and, and, and going out here showing your ass and your, your titties and your, and your everything else. It ain't about that. It's about educating and, and bringing the, up the quality of life within the community. You see what I'm saying? And I don't I mean, think you, that... Yeah. Go ahead. We're already getting enough scrutiny from religious groups. Yeah, I mean, you, we've got to show them that our community is not just about sex. I mean, it, exactly. it's not. And, and, and it's embarrassing. Like, y'all, it's embarrassing when you go to these... I don't know. I. It's just embar- It's an embarrassment. It's, it's a mockery of what people before us have had to stand up to, to fight for. When you go to these to these uh, festivals and you see these people out here dressed dress any kind of way, round kids, just acting like straight deviants. Like, you know, it's just, it just justifies, I think it, to some people it just justifies the mistreatment of the QIA individuals. It just it just justifies that when you go to these festivals and see all this stuff that's going on and then you have these people bringing it. I just, I don't know. That's just a whole different topic for another show. I don't even want to get into that. But I just feel that we need to stop. It's the time time is up for us to be playing around and partying and drinking and it, 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 we need to get serious about stuff that's going on in this country. We have an election coming up here in November. It's too much at stake. They're passing, trying to pass legislation to reverse everything or the progress that we have made. You know, you have, what's this like? I think they're trying to get another Supreme Court justice in, like a conservative Supreme Court yeah. justice. When Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, remember, because her time is, I won't say like this, her time's coming up, but she can't live forever. Yeah, and if Trump does um, win re-election, or even if she does die before the election, they're going to beeline someone right through into that spot. That's why I'm telling you guys, all this partying and and and, and clubbing and 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 gay pride parades and festivals and stuff like that. That's, that that has a time and place for that stuff, but we need to get serious as a community and get out here and vote and let our voices be heard. We need to get involved politically. We need to know what's going on and who is representing us. We have to. We have to get serious, y'all, Like because too much is at stake. We have to. I'm sorry. We have to, we have to get serious. And um, that's just pretty much the message I want to send tonight. We have to get serious about what's going on politically because there's a lot going on socially, politically, economically. You know, um, 
we need to quit playing games because shit's getting real out here. And I, and I hate to put it like that. I just I just don't know how else to put it. I have to put it bluntly like that. Shit is getting real. And you better have your ducks in a row and you better have your business together. Because some of the stuff that's coming down the pipeline, you you know, I, I don't know I don't know what else to say. I just I don't know what else to say, but that's just how I really want to wrap the show up and just tell people we got to get serious. We really need to get serious this year. We need to start encouraging people and our families. We need to encourage our young people to get politically involved, get registered to vote, and show up at the polls. We have to. So I know that's why I made the video. And please, if you have it, please do me a favor and try to share that video. Um, I am going to put that on the YouTube channel. I'm going to put that on the YouTube channel. I am. And um, on our next show, I'm going to play that. But I'm definitely going to, I was going to ask you, do I have, if I can have permission to put that on the YouTube channel? Yes, you do. Because that that message was right right on. And I think more people need to hear that. Because I'm tired. (laughs) I'm tired. I don't want to be going through another four years of this shit. So if people really are serious, if people really are serious, you need to go vote. And mm-hmm. again, don't just vote for ridiculous reasons. Have a have a good reason. I mean, it's really not enough to just vote for someone just because you like them. That doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. Are they going yeah. to do what they said they were going to do when they got elected? That's what matters. Right. So yeah, you have want permission. To, Please do use it. Yeah, I want to send a shout out to uh, we have Keith Washington in the room. Uh, he says, hello, this is Keith Washington, the former president of Indy Black uh, Pride and former national board member of HRC, Human, Human Rights Campaign. So I wanted to give a shout out to him. He's in the room. Um, I want to give a shout out to some of the people that have joined our um, chat throughout the night. Caleb Bailey, Amber Harris, um, Justo Frost, Geraldine Chandler. Brandon King, Ananda Walton, Josh Rickleman, Brandon Fikes, Corey, uh, I'm not going to butcher his last name, but yeah, Corey, you know who you are. I'm not going to Terry Johnson, Suzanne Jeffers, um, uh, my cousin Christina, she's in the room. She she came through. Um, Isnard, Istrablat, too. Um, yeah, we just had a lot of people that came in here tonight, and I just want to thank you. Um, Josh Reed, Brad Robbins, Bobby Joe Johnson. Um, yeah, yeah, we had a lot of people come in. I just wanted to thank everybody that came in and supported us tonight. Um, you know, we're getting back in the in the swing of things. Like, you know, um, this show was kind of like a last minute thing. I want to do it. Because this is like our first year anniversary of the Team Podcast, and we started last year um, on doing Pride. Yeah. So this is season two now. We're in season two now of the Team Podcast, and we're, we're going to have some, you know, some more things that come up. We're going to try to bring in some more people this uh, this season. We're going to um, definitely be doing more political 
type topics. You know what I'm saying? Like it's all good to do the the um, celebrity gossip and pop culture stuff, but we need to really focus on our community and not just certain segments of the community, but all people in the community because we all make up this community and we're all being impacted by the decisions that are being made. So um, I don't know if you guys have anything else to add before we jump off here. I just want to say thank you for uh, having this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for bringing this to the forefront because we really need this. Yeah. We need this kind of more than ever. And all I got to say is that um, when I vote, Seneca, I vote for you. Philip, I vote for you. Meaning that I have you two in mind. I have your family in mind. Philip, I have your family in mind. When I'm going into that poll. So I think it's more important now more than ever. We we truly have a lot on the line. Yeah. We do. And a lot yeah. of people just don't yeah. understand that. And I and for me, the pride is the beginning of my heart. And, you know, between the three of us, we have tried together, all three of us. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to say. Um, Keith Washington, I wish you would have contacted us earlier in the show because we are about to wrap it, wrap it up and the lines are closed, but we're going to have a part two of this this month, and I want you to make sure you contact us again so I can get you on the line. Um, he says, if you would like for a perspective on the LGBT history of Indy, I would be glad to give it. I can definitely tell you why things evolved to where it is today. I wonder, okay, I wanted something real quick. Let's see if I can get him on the line, on my personal line. Well, I'm just, I just want to fucking sit on my screen right now. Uh, let's see. Let me see something really quick, guys. I want to hear what his perspective is. Invite. Yeah, I'm going to send him a link. To join my friend yard. Keith, if you if you're listening, um, I'm gonna send this link in the uh, in the room so you can join my stream yard if you want to give your perspective because I my phone lines are shut off on the um, blog talk radio, but if you want to um, reach out to us in stream yard. So we can bring you on. So you can give your perspective. We would love to hear that. If not, I'll definitely catch you on the next show. I'm gonna wait for a couple minutes. If not, you know, we'll just uh, do that next time. Better yet, I tell you what. I'm gonna call him online. He just sent me his number. Wait a minute. Give me a second. Let's do it like that. Uh, 
Yeah, let's do something. I'm improvising on air, y'all, so just bear with me. So I want to hear his point of view about the history. Okay. Hey, my man, how are you? Hey, how you doing? You on air right now? Um, I, I, I know, I see it. Yeah. First of all, greetings, everybody. Greetings, greetings uh, from Nashville, Hello. Tennessee. So I hope everybody's having a good evening. Um, I can talk to you concerning the history of uh, Indy Pride from a perspective that most don't. Um, do you remember the video store, Mass Ave video? Yes. You know I owned that for 10 years. Okay. And so when I became involved in the LGBT community through the video store with my former partner, Rick Cook, and I, um, they were very interested in us sponsoring them. Um, I got involved in the LGBT movement because I didn't see anybody that looked like me. Back in the day, uh, there were several key individuals that made sure that there was people not like me involved, uh, from Gary Brackett uh, on down. Gary Brackett was the, the head of, of, of Indy Pride then. It was a very segregated um, situation. Mm. Um, myself and, and a couple of others decided to get involved. Well, I was brought in because of the fact that I refused going to give them money because my thing is I own a business and I don't see you guys in my business patronizing me. Um, I went to one of their meetings and told them there's 25 people in the room. I know 11. And, and they said, what do you mean by that? I know 11 that come in my store and give me money for my product. And the others don't. Um, back in the day, any pride was, it was basically founded by a group of friends. And it was all about, um, it, well, it, it, the original pride started off was for gay pride, gay, gay rights. But this group of people under Gary Brackett's lead got in there and took it over and made it a click. Mm. It became very, very white. It became very, very white male. It became very, very white male and, and, and elitist classes and racist at the same time. They, they had a board of 25 people, all white men. There were no, there were no lesbians. There were no people of color. There were no people who were older. It was just them. And so, through the process of feminine organization, it grew to be what it has become now. They finally, just this year, got rid of or disassociated themselves from the Gary Brackett era. Mm. He was a type of individual, they were, that pride board was set up where they didn't want anybody of color 
to be involved. That's how I got involved in the gay rights movement of Indianapolis because I felt that they were not taking care of us. I felt they were discriminating. This is my thing. If I'm good enough for you to be in bed at night, I should be good enough for you to be hand to hand and walk to your talk to you and be involved in the daytime. Exactly. Wow. You follow, you follow. And, and so I got involved uh, with, the, with, with the community movement through the Human Rights Camp at HRC. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mentor, Tom Maynard, uh, found me uh, through a guy named Brent Matter and sat back and said, I hear you stirring up the waters and saying, uh, talking about racial issues in the gay community. So what are you going to do about it? So, well, I don't know. I own this business, but guess what? As a black business owner in the LGBT community, you're not going to disrespect me. You're not going to disrespect the people that come to the store. You're not going to disrespect the people of color because here I am. I can we would have to definitely have a, a, a show so I can tell you the history of the gay community in Indianapolis. When I sit back and say that they just became inclusive in the in, in the 2000s, they did. Seneca, I can tell you there was a time at English Ivy's where you couldn't go into English Ivy's and serve as a black person. Are you serious? Wow. That was two thousand. That was in 2004 and five and six. Um, my, one of my mentees, if you ever get a chance and you talk to him, David Bridgeport, um, I, I remember I took in to English Ivy's a group of about 25 black folks. I took over the dining room. I sat back and said, you're going to serve us. But I also told black folks, y'all going to tip. Yeah. The problem is the reason why they don't they don't want to serve you because y'all come in here and you act crazy and you don't want to tip these people. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna sit back and make this work. And I did that. And and that's when black folks start coming into English. That was about like two thousand five, two thousand six. Um, same with Metro. I, I I took over Metro back in the day. Uh, if you talk to some of the older LGBT, you know, African-American LGBT people, they'll tell you about the Wednesday night socials that we had at Metro, where I would bring in the old school black folks and the younger black folks to, to Metro. And I would make Metro, hey, you're going to give us advertisers stuff free. I'm going to bring all these people in and do this stuff. I had to do all these things. I mean, my, I, I, I can sit there and say this. I've learned as now turning 50. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. But back then, I was a young, full of fire guy. Mm-hmm. And I basically had to fight these people for years. My name is respected and loved by some and hated by others. But I'm telling you, the white gay community back in, in, in the late 90s and 2000s, man, they were terrible. I, I remember a time when I became the, uh, the the second president of Black Pride after Robert Ferguson, where one year they had, uh, you know, DJ Redbone, right? Yeah. So they just to have DJ Redbone DJ for, they gave her 30 minutes. Now this was, this was the, you know, Pride. Most LGBT white folks listen to R&B music, this is what we listen to, right? So they let DJ Redbone do 30 minutes, and she rocked the festival to the point that 
the other DJ, DJ Deanna, the, 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 the DJ from Calvary Street, Street yep. the white female, yeah, was so upset and ticked off that, that she didn't want to perform because this girl did so well. So the following year, we asked, could we, you know, bring DJ, you know, bring her back? They had to have an emergency meeting on a DJ. I believe that Indianapolis, the community are so petty. I, be, I believe Right. They're petty as all get if I, if, if, I, if I begin to tell you the cutthroat, treacherous things that the Indy Pride Board, under the leadership of Gary Brackett, did to people of color in the city of Indianapolis for years, it'll blow your mind. The owner of the word, Ted he was asking what this guy's name was. What, what, what was his name again? Uh, Gary Brackett. Gary Brackett. Yeah. Gary Brackett. Brackett? Yeah, Gary Brackett. One of the most terrible people you ever meet. And I, and I have no problem saying that. One of the most terrible people you ever meet. Just, 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 I mean, if I, if I give you the history behind the white gay community from IYG, a lot of you don't understand, you know, IYG. I'm being very careful that I don't get sued. But a lot of them should be in jail now with some illegal activities with younger people. Mm. Attorneys, that organization, and what, they, what they've done. Um, they've evolved and grown, but man, I'm trying to tell you, they were, they were nothing nice back in the 90s and 2000s. They didn't want anybody that didn't look like them involved. Uh, any black pride was started by Robert Ferguson and some folks. And only thing they wanted black pride to do was be there to basically uh, be support. They didn't allow them to sit at the table to make plans, arrange for the pride. That's how Indy Black Pride got started. When, and I, when, and I, when and I got it. Yeah, and that's why I was going to ask you where where does Indy Black Pride fit? Because so many years we've noticed that um, Indy Black Pride was not up to the same level or up to par to Black Pride. But why why didn't they? show that same level level of support or did they support? Well, let me tell you this. When I came on the scene as a, as a head of HRC, the Emergency Campaign for Indiana, Kentucky, for five years, they had issues with this. And I, one of the things that they were doing to block me or to cause issues in, in, in the black gay community was to attack me. Mm. I refused to give any pride national money for a pride that didn't represent me. I I had access and control of that kind of money back in the day through HRC. And so any black pride got started by a group of people, Robert Ferguson, Noel Taylor, uh, I mean, it was a a small group. They got tired of going to any pride, not seeing themselves represented. As I said earlier, if I'm good enough to sleep with, I should be good enough to be out in front during the daytime doing something. And they sat down and they created that organization to reflect pride. The, 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 the people of Indy Pride, even to this day, they're ignorant to the history, in fact, of the LGBT movement. As soon as you know this, Stonewall was not a white gay bar. Stonewall was a black, Latino, transgender jag bar that started the, 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 the gay civil rights movement. I can say this with a 
there has never been any civil rights movement in this country that has not been started or moved or led without black people. White folks don't do that. They don't get out there and fight. Sylvia Rodriguez, a transgender Puerto Rican drag queen, hit a police officer on the head with her boot and started the movement for civil rights for gay people. Indy Pride has played on the fact that it's all about us and not about them. You can't be a minority and discriminate against a minority within a minority. Does that make sense? Wow. Yeah, that's deep. Yeah. And so, any pride has always been about one thing, itself. Now they do have some people that of, of color, so a few spookings, <laughs> but, but, but they're not. They don't, Seneca, they don't know you. You remember when I was back, back at Indy, man. I, 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 I did all kind of stuff to yeah. do my video store for, for people of color, for, for people who are older. Uh, you, know, the, the, you know, one of the big things I, that I made in my business was there's an older LGBT community they care of. That's why that video store is there. That's why we, you know, Rick and I ran it for, for all those years. We didn't make any money off that store. We went broke trying to keep that store going. But we made sure it stayed as they open as a as a pillar to the community to have a place to go where they can celebrate themselves and be comfortable. And you know, I, I, in the basement we had all the the adult stuff, and I would tell the undercover cops, those cameras are not for the customers; they're for you. Mm. If you come in and try to entrap one of my customers, I'm going to entrap you. That's how deep it was. Yeah. And so, I, I man. I swear, I need to get my thoughts and and and, and know you, together. And you, I'll tell you what we yeah. was back in the day. Yeah. You couldn't even go. You couldn't even go to Greg. Greg's. Wow. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Music. That's true. I, now I know that for a fact from when, even when I started going there, Greg's evolved. When I played black yeah. music, they, they would they would chase out. They would chase black folks out. They didn't want people. They, I mean, they literally did not want people. Now, this is after the, now Greg's name after the, the owner started. When he was alive, everybody was welcome. But when he died, mm-hmm. it changed hands. And when it changed hands, it went no into the hands. Like Say again. He said, no wonder he didn't like it there. Yeah. When it changed hands with the, the, the ownership of Phil, who didn't like black people, they did everything in power to keep black folks out. They wouldn't serve you. <clears> they wouldn't play <throat> They wouldn't do anything. They didn't want you in there. The only reason why I got walked, was able to walk through the doors, I was Keith Washington. He's the owner of Mass That Video. We had to handle him differently because he's not your, he's not your regular typical gay black guy. I, I didn't accept it. You're not going to mistreat me. And, I, and, and same way with Metro. If I, if I, if I, if I can tell you about Chet Van, Van, whatever his name is, those guys, and how they treated black folks, it's crazy. When they started letting black people in the metro, it's only been like five, six years, man. Yeah. For real. When Mass Ave changed. When Mass when 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 when, when downtown evolved and black folks started coming in there with other folks because because they had because Metro was was dying. Those, those they were dying. They had to start playing black music and stuff like that. And and dude, let me tell you something. I've been going for Indy for a little bit now, you know, living out of state. But I can tell you, I would get phone calls from black people saying, hey, they're not letting us in at Metro. 
at Metro. Have you ever, you, you probably seen back in the day, they would have yeah. the, the line outside the door of Metro. Yeah. And the, but the, but the bar is empty. The inside is empty, but the line is circling around the building with black people. They didn't want black folks in there. And so I kept getting, getting these phone calls saying, hey, you need to come down, Mr. Washington, you need to come down and see this because there's this really, really mess with. And I went down there one night. And uh, I walked up to the door. The door was, oh, hey, Amy, what are you doing? Got a question for you. I know you let me in, but I'm looking through the windows. There's nobody in here. Well, you see what I said, tell you what. You tell them inside. They got about 25 minutes to figure out what they want to do. I'm going to take this whole group to another bar. And they will follow me. There had to be 100, 100 folks outside. And even they were even making, this is how, how blatantly racist they were. Even they were making white customers wait with the black. It's like, why are we going to stand in line? Because they don't want them in there. So they'd rather keep you out along with them to keep them from coming in. Ooh. It's how deep this thing is. And I always, and I always felt that there was, because I don't have the history that that you have, I felt that there was always some type of underlying um, history or something. I just felt something was there, and you you kind of co- corroborating what I felt. Now let me ask you about as as far as the five hundred one is concerned, the history of the five hundred one. Now we know that 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 bar is no longer here, but like, did they have that same history of? The, the, the history of the one, uh, the following one to me was a bar. I called it the Great Equalizer. You couldn't come into the following one with the gay shenanigans. They wouldn't let the twinks and the pretty boys walk up in there and disrespect anybody. Um, they had a gay black bartender there. I can't think of his name. I think he's a passed on. But they allowed folks to come in there. You know, black folks and you know, black men and stuff like that to come in there mm-hmm. and, uh, and and be a part. The, the leather community today, under the leadership of a guy named Jacob Overton and all the little indie letters, Mr. Letter stuff, that's just a bunch of mess because they'll never let someone of Seneca, you or someone of color, never be Mr. Leather Indiana. Mm. They'll never let that happen. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? They won't. Because because that'll take away from their, their marketing, their brand, their branding of that of that thing. But back in the day, you can go to the five hundred one. You can go, and I, I, th- I think one of the biggest things that has happened to the gay community in Indianapolis and across the country is when these these newly white gays said they had to have straight people Woo. in order to in order for them to be water water. Yep, they watered it down. They had to have straight folks to be. And because back in the day, man, you go to the, the bars on Thursday, Friday night, there was no girls inside the bar. Mm-mm. That was for that was for the that's for the gay men to go. You go to the chin, there was no guys. That was for the women to go to do their thing. And you know, and, and but when 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 this 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 younger white generation of gays came through. They had to have three females. They had to have that clutch purse. And when that clutch purse came into into the the, 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 the the era or the genre or the history or the atmosphere, 
of the LGBT community, it changed everything. Because mm-hmm. on a Thursday, Friday night, man, back in the day at Greg's and back in the day at 501, lights off, shirts off, drink can poppers in your hand, yep. in the air, and you were doing your thing. Yep. And you had a black and son doing it. But when they came in, oh my God, I can't believe these guys are, are kissing. I can't believe these guys are touching each other. I can't, oh my God, this is gross. Then get out. Let Why me, are you here if they got to change who they are to make you happy to be here? So let me ask you this. Do you feel that that has contributed to the decay of uh, the gay community or the, just the gay establishment? Like, not just I, only here, but I, just yeah. nationwide. It, 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 destroyed, it destroyed. In 2009, man, there were four gay business, iconic gay businesses that went out of, out, out of business. One, Mass Avenue Market. Two, Outward Bound, the gay store. Three, Ruth Ellen's, the, uh, the, 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 the gay restaurant that had some of the best food in the world. And four, the Abbey, which was the, yeah. the sandwich shop at the end of the Mass Ave where the gay teens and kids were able to go and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is in response or a cause, going back to Indy Pride, who had the ability to sit back and say, we need to sponsor these people, support these businesses, but they didn't do it. So they were so busy trying to get the corporate sponsors and trying to appease everything and have a party for a group of elite white gay men in the city with, 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 or who are older and having the young, white, twink, pretty boys be at their parties and all this stuff and be popular. Any pride is not, a, is not an organization of, 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 of inclusion or success. It's an organization that basically destroyed a community. Mm. The ones that built them, the ones that wrote the checks, the one that supported them, the one that has... Also, the audio restaurant. Agios, man... If it went for Agios, any pride wouldn't be. All the fundraisers that, that, that they did for them, and when it came down to Agios trying to survive on the avenue, they didn't show up. They didn't show up for any, anybody. It's all about them. And then when and then when the coup took over happened a couple of years ago, when they got that new president, he's not there anymore. Um, I never get. He called me. He said, "Reverend, I want you to." And at that time, I just became a pastor. The Reverend, we, we we want you to be a part of this vote to get Gary Brack and those guys out. And the guy showed not just showed up, stood in my clergy column, and stood there on the floor of that meeting at the Indiana Museum of Art. I am you, Indiana Museum of Art. And I sat back and said, "This is what they need to get." You're having a vote on if you're going to allow people of color to be involved and, and get voted on your board? Mm. Wow. What? And I know some of y'all in the room don't like me, but I'm just going to say, like, this, this, y'all been racist for so long that you don't even realize that you're racist. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, I mean, you know, and, and, and it just, my mind has flashed it back. I, 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 you and I, need, you need to give me a call. We just need to sit down and talk so I can just go through it. I don't want to go through all this stuff. A lot of it, it would probably put me in legal jeopardy. Yeah, 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 but it's yeah, the yeah. Truth, it's the truth on, on individuals and what they have done. And, and, and you'll, once I tell you, Seneca, the story, 
Washington, we're just upset with the fact that you don't support gay marriage and yada, 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 and everything else, and, 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 and black gays don't, don't want to condemn the church. First of all, let me tell you something. You already have all these other rights and all these other privileges. Now you want me, you want us to go out here and sacrifice ourselves to give you more privileges, but then the, once you get the privileges, we can't get the privileges that you get to enjoy? You want to hold them back from us? No. Two, we're not going to condemn the church. The church has not been, been, has been our foundational truth of who we are. Regardless of what they say some Sundays, at the end of the day, the church needs us, and we need the church, and the church ain't been that bad at us. I'm sorry, white gay community, if you had some very, very bad issues with your church world, your church experience. But guess what, though? We're not going to sit back and walk away from the black church. Because at the end of the day, it's the black church that gives us power and strength to be able to do the things we do, which caused your movement to be. Mm. Wow. The problem is, white gay community, you're godless. Mm. That part. Mm. And, so, and, and because you're godless, you don't understand how a movement should go. And that's and the sad thing about it is there's a lot of good white gay LGBT people out there who know God, who loves God, who serve on stuff, but they don't speak out. It's the ones, the party boys, the ones that money, the, the, the fake ones that run and control things. And that's and I have his name again, Gary Brackett, was the the head, the the, the kingpin of it. That what what you're dealing with now, the aftermath of what you're dealing with now. You have a movement that has leadership, but don't have a head of leadership to sit back and look at the bigger picture to incorporate everybody. So let me ask you this. Do you feel that um, we, we could have been more progressive as a community? We would have been further ahead if it wasn't for this leadership, this, this yeah. oh, previous oh, yeah. leadership? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They purposely, purposely. <laughs> Got people down that did not agree with them. Oh yeah. And when I say purpose down, not I mean not just uh, publicly but pr- privately. They they destroyed lives. It's almost it was almost like the mafia. Wow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is deep. If yeah. if if if. if, if 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 they would have allowed and everybody to sit have a seat at the table, they they would have, they would have been better. The only time any pride came to anything that was close or similar to something, and you and, and Cynic, I know you know this person. Remember Scott Van Kirk? Yeah. Scott Van Kirk is the reason why black folks were able to come into pride. Shut up. Scott Van Kirk's husband is a black doctor. Because I don't think because he he doesn't live in the country anymore, does he? He lives in Africa. Africa, Africa. yeah, yep, sure does. Yep. But if it wasn't wow. for, was for Scott, if it wasn't for Scott Banker, black folks to this day would not be involved with pride. Scott Banker and I worked hand in hand. My I became the president of Indy Black Pride at the I worked for Robert Ferguson. Scott Banker worked hand in hand. Yeah, he he was a good man. He was a good person. Yeah. But guess what? They, but guess what though? But they did their best. The bracket contingents, Gary Bracket, his his his, his minions, fought Scott Van Kirk, tooth and nail, and everything. 
the bag, I give you this one, believe mine. The Bagley's bus tour back in the day, they would even, they would, they would, they would, they would come to the 10 and to the 501 and stuff like that so late at night that the tour is over. They, they would never include black folks. Gary Brackett ran it. He, he ran Pride. He ran the Bagley bus tour. Man, I'm trying to tell you, it, it was just crazy how racist they, I mean, blatantly racist. And I'm not talking about where we know they're racist and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's hidden somewhat. Covert, yeah. it, is. it was overtly. Yeah. Wow. They didn't, they didn't care. But Scott Banker, I have to give him credit. He is one of the reasons why it evolved where it is today, where it's, it's, it's a lot better than what it was then. But they gave Scott Banker hell. Because Scott Banker, husband's black. And, and, and so, I mean, this is very, so much. It's very, it, it's very fascinating, but this, this is very embarrassing at the same time that we, that this history, it, like, and it explains a lot while even to this day, like, even the, the community today here in Indianapolis is so conservative. I've never seen, like, you can even go down to Kentucky, like Louisville. Or go to any like this. This Indianapolis community is so it's so unique. Like it's so like they're, they're stuck in a time capsule, and it's very conservative. Even the gay community is here is very conservative. It's already a conservative city and state, but like it explains a, a lot. Like why we it feels like we we haven't progressed when you look at other because. cities. They don't. They don't want. They don't want. They don't want you to progress. And if you progress, one of the things I did when you progress, man, it takes away their power. It takes away who they are, their popularity, their their their, their standing. One of the things I did when I was part of HRC, when I when I ran HRC, I created what you call a, a little a subgroup called the Who's Your Right campaign, and I connected all five state colleges together: IU, Purdue, I State. Ball State and Indiana State uh, down in, uh, in Evans, I mean, uh, Terrell. And I created a network of, of, of college kids so they can communicate with each other. And so if something goes down as a campus against somebody who's LGBT, guess what? We, we our brothers and sisters from other campus come down. 